Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. Welcome to episode 69. And if you're listening to this today, just as it's released, it is the second anniversary, the second birthday of Sweetman Podcast. Two years ago, on this very date, I nervously launched into the world the very first episode, which was a conversation with Darren Watson. So over I've got a few in the can obviously so over 70 conversations since that since that day a couple of years ago and in the last year I've been trying to put them out once a week or so so thanks for your support if you're a regular listener and if this is your first time here for some reason welcome um, I want to thank uh, Tea Leaf Tea Yeasty Boys and La Petit Chocolat who sponsor the podcast and I also want to give a, a shout out to uh, Phantom Bill Stickers who have been a supporter of the podcast uh, as, a, as a sponsor and are still a supporter of the podcast and that they quite often share the finished take on their Facebook page to their audience so uh, thanks to Jim and Jamie uh, and the crew and um, I guess I want to give a thanks, thanks, a big thanks to my wife Katie for putting up with me doing this and uh, I need to give a big thanks to the Lo-Fi Sheriff for his support as well. So, um, and of course to all of the listeners. This is a conversation that I recorded nearly two years ago. You haven't heard it, it's not an earlier episode, but it was going to be. Um, I lost it, and then I actually, I mean I lost the file, not I lost the plot, that was ages ago. I, I lost the file, and then I found it, and then it was too long for me to deal with, and I couldn't deal with it. And I, I worried that it was time specific because there was a conversation about a, a, a product release that uh, had been and gone. Uh, and then I finally listened back to it and thought this would be a fun thing to, to launch into the world to sort of celebrate the two years of the podcast. It's a conversation with, with a good friend of mine, Jeremy Taylor. Now, you probably know him from at least one of his many pursuits in the various hats he wears. He's a, a long-serving uh, record store clerk at Slowboat. Um, he's a record reviewer, music reviewer on 9 to Noon on national radio. He's been a food blogger. He's a, uh, a, a singer. for. Uh, he's a singer-songwriter. He was in a couple of bands that we mentioned in this podcast cinematic and throw he's released a couple of solo albums he he'll he sings in weddings he sings in covers bands he turns up on the you know he gets welcomed onto the stage to sing with people like anika moore and tammy nielsen he's uh i guess a bit of a jack of all trades in that sense and um and people probably know him for his uh his conversational skills on facebook or in real life behind the counter of Slowboat. he's a, a great rock raconteur so uh, we sat down and had a conversation that went for many hours, and um, it's a conversation that that we've been having. I think we started it ten years ago, and I'm not sure when the conversation is going to end. So you're just going to hear a, a bit of it in the middle. Um, we we met at a, a, an Interpol concert, and we both disliked that concert just enough that we decided we preferred each other's company to the band that was playing. Um, so that's how bad it was. And it's been, as I say, it's been like that ever since. Um, probably once a week in real life, I have some version of this conversation with him and then it, it, it carries on online in some sense so I do try to get to a little bit of the essence of him in this we do talk about his various musical pursuits and his hobbies and interests and his passions and uh, some of the influences and, and some of the things he's interested in we do talk across uh books and movies and TV as well as music and at the time that this was first recorded he had just released a book uh, about rugby so we talk in this episode more about rugby than I ever have on any of the other episodes of the podcast and I actually really enjoyed having a conversation about rugby because it's not something uh, people probably seek out in me and I don't know that I've got any 
good opinions about rugby, but I enjoyed the challenge of trying to have a serious conversation without laughing about rugby. Um, it was it was fun, and um, it's a pretty epic conversation. So it feels like a good way to to mark. Um, the second birthday of Sweetman Podcast. Thanks again to the listeners and to the sponsors and to Jeremy for, for never once saying, hey, did that episode ever run? Um, was it was it that bad? Um, what happened to it? Uh, he never once said that. When I mentioned to him earlier this week that I was going to run it, he said, good God, I don't know what we talked about. And um, I had that feeling when I finished listening to this. And uh, as will he and as will you probably. But uh, somewhere in there, I hope you enjoy it. This is episode 69, second birthday. Me talking with Jeremy Taylor. And this is Sweet Podcast. Hey, guys. I don't know. No, I, I was sure, in fact, that I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> and I think people are probably quite relieved by that concept. But, um... So, because I was, was going to say, like, people that know you, um, know that, uh, you know, there are several ways we can get into this, but I was thinking, like, you know, the, the old Kiwi bloke is rugby racing and beer, and you're kind of rugby food and music. Yeah. So if we look at it that way, you're not, you don't necessarily think you had a music book or a food book in you and it just happened to be a rugby book? Uh, there was at one stage when I was um, writing the food blog, The Omnivore on Stuff, uh, that it was mooted that I, and I, I'd just done, the, in uh, what year would that have been, 2012, I'd done for Wellington on a Plate. I, oh, the burgers. I, I ate and wrote about 25 burgers yeah. in 15 days, which was... A monumental ask, and I look back on, and I kept doing the stuff blog at the same time. So yeah. it was sort of like double one, duty, one or two burgers a day to be written about, and another three blogs about that. So mm. I don't. I, I look back on it now, and I think I have absolutely no idea how I. I don't think I slept very much. Yeah, yeah. But um. But but don't you find with that stuff that uh, and I mean you've just um, you know you've just written a book while doing. Um, a day job and you know some other bits and pieces too that we'll get into like you do some you would have done some playing in the time that you were maybe yeah. not too much but you would have done some gigs I think it's very much a case of that thing you know people always say if you want something done ask somebody who's already busy well I was going to say that but also yeah like everything just becomes the new normal like all of a sudden you're a guy who turns up to work Monday to Friday and does a gig every other weekend and has a rehearsal now and then but then you're that guy and you've got this homework where you're writing a book or you've got this homework where you're writing a blog or you've got this homework where you're eating burgers yeah I sort of feel like I kind of wrote the rugby book in a bit of a blurry daze I think um, I, I quite often wake up in the middle of the night and did I do that <laughs> no I just I, I, I wake up in, in the middle of the night and I'm awake for an hour or two yeah you know, and it's often at about the same time. It's often at about two thirty, and it's it sort of becomes insomnia becomes a bit of a habit, I reckon. And um, rather than just like watching shit television or, um, or something else, like what what I would often do is, uh, you know, over that period, I would just sit and write. And I think uh, pe- people's idea of I'm writing my book, you know, I'm yeah, yeah. working on my book. Um, I. I t- it, it wasn't, you know, so I had a target of about 30,000 words, yeah. and I, I realised that if I was, so I, I, I started at around Christmas time, 
and I realised that if I was going to get done by when um, it, it needed to be done by, which was about Easter, I was just going to have to write. I was going to have to write a lot. So I did research. I, I, I you know, found out everything that I could about the previous tournaments, about where the games were going to be played, um, about other national sides that I didn't know that much about. Because most of what I know about rugby has been gleaned uh, for the most part over the last decade mm -hmm. and it's and it's you know it's very New Zealand centric and I think it, it, at one point in the book I, I'm maybe a little bit critical of the South African rugby media because I always feel like you know they they you know to, to them the springboks are the center of the world mm. and, and they are and mm. you know and it's really hard from here I think uh, one of the things about the fact that the All Blacks win most of the time is um, so the World Cup became this fascinating exercise and when you don't when, when you're pretty sure that you're the best in the world at something but you aren't able to win the four yearly global yeah, tournament yeah, the thing that allegedly you, says you actually are the best yeah you start really you know does it even mean anything to be ranked number one between World Cups if you just can't win a World Cup but mm. of course you know it's a tournament and it's different and I think it goes so much to our our nationhood and we have we have all these neuroses and all these insecurities and a lot of them are to do with like our proximity to Australia mm. and you know sort of feeling like you know they're, they're financially better off than we are. Our lack of proximity uh, just about anywhere else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We, like I've just come come back from a month in, in Europe and the, the overwhelming thing that you sort of find yourself thinking is we're just so far away from mm. from the rest of the world and and you know, I think people in New Zealand have this overwhelming sense of, you know, that they, they think that the rest of the world's going, God, New Zealand just looks amazing, it must be so great there. But, but of course, what the rest of the world thinks about New Zealand most of the time is nothing. They yeah, think yeah. about New Zealand about as much as we think about Botswana or... Well, that's it. We seem to come across like um, a people that is overtly concerned with how we're placed in the world when you hear these, you know, these ideas that we're concerned, you know, people go overseas and they ask people, oh, have you heard of us? Yeah. Have you been there? What do you know about us? <laughs> and you never get that from any, you know, you don't get that from tourists that come to New Zealand and go, people from Germany, have you heard of us? Well, you know about what you like, but can you forget some of what you've heard about? You know, like that doesn't that doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I think you know I think a lot of what we think about the rest of the world is based on stereotypes and assumptions and things that people people talk about. Oh, Americans are like this, and I sort of think, well, America's pretty. Yeah. America is a bigger bigger country than. Uh, most people here yeah. can even get their head around yeah. and it runs the gamut from all types of people you know I, I don't think that the, you can generalize about the cliche I'm probably the least interested and most disappointed about when it comes to America is that co idea of um, Americans don't do irony or don't get irony and it's you know or they don't understand sarcasm and that's seems like people talk about that actually specific to an American type of comedy which to me is very strange because there's some incredible examples of 
great American satirists and ironists and, and you know, it, it's thread through the, the literature as yeah. well as the, even your, your 7.30 primetime comedy, some of that is done with, with sometimes with some class, even for a mainstream audience, but people have this idea that the bog standard... American comedy isn't as clever as the British one or something like that, which... I've been re-watching Seinfeld over the last few yeah. months, and, you know, it's a little bit like Friends, in that you sort of think that you've seen every episode of it, and every now and then I, I see one and I think, I don't know... I wasn't paying attention, this. I didn't... Yeah, I, I, I just didn't, didn't... I didn't go to it, and, and it's such a remarkable document of, of yeah. a particular time and a particular... You know, mindset and things, and obviously it, it births Kirby enthusiasm. But I, yeah. I sometimes sort of wonder if, you know, if you're going to talk about the most important British comedies, then I guess you'd be talking about things like Faulty Towers, Blackadder, Blackadder, and and certainly the ones. yeah, and certainly The Office. Mm-hmm. I think, but but I think you know, the The Office describes a very particular type of British British culture and when I lived in the I lived in the UK for a couple of years 98 99 and I worked in an office and there was a guy who was like Finchy who used to yeah. come down from up north yeah and he was you know total jerk and there were you know those there was like the 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 office romance the Tim and Dawn kind of thing but and I think when they re- remake that in America, which you know, some people love the American office. I sort of think they they do kind of miss maybe a fundamental aspect of the British psyche, in, in the yeah. same way that you could remake The Sopranos mm. and set it in Britain, but yeah. it becomes mm. a different thing. Well, that's it. I was going to say, like uh, uh, most of the American comedies or shows um, where they have remade a British thing, to me, haven't really quite worked, but that's someone trying to cop someone else's feel, basically. When when they do their own thing, when something originates in their country, it arguably is far more successful. You know, like there are, there are some great American shows. Like Seinfeld is a great example of a, a kind of quintessential yeah, and American and, show. And it's, it's very, very New York. Yeah, that's well. right. It's I, not I just American. It's, the, it's a very New York show. It's the other thing. Uh, and... Yeah, little old New Zealand puttering away here in the corner. Yeah. This idea of ourselves as little battlers, and I think it sort of bleeds through into all the aspects of what we do. I think that um, you know the, the the sort of jingoism that accompanies our sporting culture, and, and that's maybe the thing about rugby that I'm least interested in. I'm yeah. least interested in it as a as a sort of a macho expression well, of. I wanted to ask you that because that's the the. The frustration that I, I mean, I, I've been painted by um, people, mostly in my own family, as someone who hates rugby, and I, and I don't hate rugby at all, it's just that in my life it's become a thing where um, if something else is happening I will, that I'm interested that. in, I will prioritise that, I won't prioritise the rugby over, and I, I think I probably ended up doing that as a reaction to what I saw which was that the rugby became the priority. I mean, I sound like a, a sad fucking bitter kid, but I remember my 13th, my, my birthdays in the winter and back in the days when rugby was just restricted to a few months of the year, I can remember my birthday was always hijacked. They'd have the birthday party and I was a kid, but it, it was timed right around the Bledisloe. Um, <laughs> and just as the birthday party was getting going, the adult, 
the adults would all just walk like away and, and they disappear. And, and look, I played sport. I, I never played rugby, but I played sport. So I, I followed rugby and was into it. So I'd watch the game too, but it was a very weird... It's, it's like you're it's, having that taken away It from stuck you, with like. me, that idea that this... And then, you know, I came to university and um, got into playing in covers bands and pubs on Fridays and Saturday nights. And when rugby was still being played in the weekend primarily, which I guess it still kind of is most of the time, but screening only live, not, you know, there were no like recorders and stuff. Mm. I just was out. So mm. I just missed it. And if I wasn't, if I wasn't out, then I saw it. And it's still very much like that to me. Like I keep up with things. I'll watch the World Cup. I'll watch a lot of it. Yeah. But I, but I, I'm baffled by this idea that the All Blacks have become um, not just a, a sort of national talking point, but these kind of untouchable T- heroes. Totems. Totems. Yeah. That's exactly it. And you know, I sort of, I mean, you know, it probably is all just in fun and that. But I, I, I cringed at that you know in New Zealand safety oh, thing it's to me that's ridiculous yeah I, I I mean the only justification for it as far as I'm concerned is that it is for charity and, and those yeah those you know, sort, I mean I get that but that's that sort of bugs me though the, the, the idea that you know we're in this, this separate conversation but I was talking about this with someone the other day that we're you know um, everything like a gimmick will always win out now like something yep. has to be perceived as being fun or gimmicky or we can write it off as you know don't be so serious about it yep. you can't just have an earnest attempt at something you can't just do a serious fundraiser there has to be a, uh, a you know, inverted commas fun see, see I almost fundamentally don't sort of want I, 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 I'm determinedly a bit fun police about things I, I don't yeah. want things to be I want serious things to be serious and yeah. you know I, I I take rugby seriously I mean the thing about the way I feel about rugby is so so I grew up in Timaru and when I went to university in Christchurch in the early 90s um, you know the, the rugby culture there was you know then the rugby and I went to a boys school in Timaru and the rugby culture there was very very dominant and it was very you know, macho, and uh, you know, and and I, I, you know, as you're saying, you you chose other things over watching the rugby sort of thing. I chose, you know, music primarily. Mm. So I I would have taken the Smiths over the All Blacks mm. any day of the week. And um, so when I went to university in Christchurch, you know, in, in in that Canterbury rugby culture in particular, that's produced. You know, Christ College and Christchurch Boys have produced a lot of All Blacks. Yeah, yeah. And it it, it was very, you know, I, I I will I will always sort of rail against the prevailing, you know, the the, the dominant culture. So so I it, it was sort of been you know, but but I watched rugby like my dad played rugby as, as I was growing up, and I played a little bit at school, and um, I I was interested in it, but you you couldn't really be interested in music and especially alternative music yeah, yeah. and rugby it was like it was you, you you couldn't you couldn't kind of be both and then when i and then i went to the uk for a couple of years and um and and you sort of see rugby occupies quite a different you know place yeah, in it's the, not number one there is it's it? not it's number one number and three. it's well it's and also sporting wise of, it's number three i mean yeah, it's not even sure. number three in a lot of people's lives but, but it's it is primarily a sport played at at public yeah, yeah. schools yeah. by by rich people. Yeah. And you know, there's still an element of that in in the culture 
of the English rugby team yeah. and the Australian yeah. rugby team yeah. too. I suppose I don't know enough about the backdrop to South African rugby, but I know that there are those sort of schools yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, um, whereas here it is more of an everyman game. So when you say um, you couldn't like, you know, rugby and alternative music, which sort of wasn't the dumb thing, mm. and do you mean, perception-wise for you, was it because the musical heroes, say Morrissey is an obvious example, it didn't match up with them, or do you mean sort of peer pressure-wise it didn't match up, or both? Oh, yeah, probably both. Was there an under but what I'm getting at, I guess, is was there an understanding that this doesn't line up like Mor with Morrissey, who's, you know... I always found it kind of weird in the South Bank show about the Smiths yeah. at the end when, when Morrissey's talking about like the end of the Smiths and stuff, he's wearing a French rugby jersey. And I always sort of... I, I, I had and, difficulty reconciling that in my head. What did you think when he wore an all-black one in, well, that was, uh, in so, Wellington a couple of years ago? So the thing that kind of happened is... So when I was in the UK in 1999... Um, I remember sitting in the front room at my friends Bill and Paulie's place and we were having a game of Mon Monopoly um, while the rugby was on because I wasn't, you know, I, I, I liked it and yeah. I followed it but I wasn't obsessed about it. And the other you thing. You watch was, it with the sound down. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I remember the All Blacks, you know, just totally blitzing the French in the first half and then, you know, and then in the second half they, they kind of went to sleep and the French just the French just gave it a bit of the old Gallic flair yeah. and they just totally came back at it and they and I, I remember sort of thinking man that's you know so so the the team that is is you know the all you just hold it to be true that yeah, yeah. that the All Blacks are you know it's sort of the best <laughs> we're thinking that things are sort of preordained or something. Yeah, yeah. And then when, when I came back to New Zealand at the end of 99, I, I you know, you, you feel more like a, sometimes you feel more like a New Zealander when you're somewhere else. And, and, and I think that, that, you know, anywhere you go in the world, you mm. know, I know there have been New Zealand bands who have gone to various places in the world and they are frustrated by the fact that they play to a primarily expat Audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but, however, and when I came back here and I went back to Christchurch and then I moved to Wellington and but and and I started working at Slowboat and everybody was just really interested in rugby. Like, um, so on Friday nights, you know, Steve would want to close up early and go and watch the watch the Hurricanes yeah. game. And I was thinking, man, you know, these guys are, are really into this. And Dennis loved rugby, and it just sort of became you know sort of normal and. And so um, you had this. What you're saying is you you, you had this appreciation that of the background. Were, I thought that they were, you know, that they yeah, were that they wouldn't be totally mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things I couldn't see how you could reconcile them together, and yeah. then and then it became and you know and got to know people like you know the the Phoenix Foundation guys and they love rugby and and um, you know so by 2003 I I was you know fully and and also um, the other thing. In Wellington, I felt like, you know, in, in Christchurch, you know, the, the Crusaders Canterbury thing there were, were the kind of guys who picked on you at high yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. They were these kind of, you know, jerk, jock kind of guys. And here, the other thing that was, was different, and having lived in London for a couple of years, like, mm. you, you, you forget how incredibly white, you know, Christchurch and Timaru were. Like, there, there were not a lot of, you know, Polynesian yeah. or Māori people at, at, 
you know, my school or, you know, and, and, and there is a substantial Māori and PI population in Christchurch, but, you know, quite separate yeah, from right. everything else. And the rugby culture then was, was, was very, very white and it was very much like that mm. sort of public schoolboy kind of thing. And when I came to Wellington, you know, it, it was the time of, you know, it was, it was Tanaumanga and it was... So when exactly, when did you hit Wellington? 2001. 2001. And you just see these... And that was after, like, that was when you returned from overseas, basically. Yeah. And what was the reason for coming to Wellington? Just decided uh, to set up a new... My partner, Carlina, um, was going to study uh, social work at Massey. And I, I went back to Christchurch and I just thought there's just not really anything done here for I've me anymore. Here. Like yeah. I, I um, you know, a lot of people that I knew had moved on and I, I kind of felt like the energy what that I you... felt there, you know, being in a band and playing music had, had sort of that time Changed had passed. What did you know about Wellington and what did you think was going to be here for you and, and what was here for you apart from your partner? Well, needing to come here. We'd spent a lot of time, my, my band had always, my, I had a band called Cinematic in Christchurch yeah. in, in the 90s and um, we'd spent a lot of time here and um, we'd put out uh, albums, the two Cinematic albums came, both came out on labels and based on the first one on Fraser from Bardega's label that was called Beats Bardega and the second one was called Music Land. Uh, we had a manager of Alvin Clark who was mm. an old friend of mine from Christchurch and he put that so we used to come up here and stay quite a bit, and then we actually recorded a third album here. And uh, I, I, I mean, I knew people, I knew I, I knew Dennis and Steve at the shop, and uh, my friend Bill Bill E had come back from the UK, and he had come from Wellington. Okay, so you didn't turn up here. Oh no, I, I knew you lots of people here. here. And so we're gonna we're gonna come back to some of that, whether you want to or not. No, that's fine. Because. <laughs> You, you describe yourself um, as a recovering singer-songwriter. Yeah. So what I, what I want to do, um, first of all, I want to say on the rugby thing, which we'll also come back to, when I, around the time I first met you, I feel like I've known you for around about a decade, maybe just on. Um, uh, can you remember when, when, I, think when we I met, met you? I think we met at uh, a shitty gig up at Victoria Do University. Do you remember who it was? Yeah. yeah um, they were called that. Was it Interpol? It was Interpol. Yeah. And I think for both of us, the idea of having a conversation with each other was preferable to watching the band. Which really just serves, really serves to how bad they were. Look, I was never a massive Interpol fan, but I, 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 they did enough on those first couple of records to make me think, you know, it's, it's sticky and, and gimmicky, but it works. But that gig put me off them completely, and, and I've never really band, cared about them since. They were the sort of band that I sort of felt that I should have liked. Yeah, and they're and taking all the. And people said to me, "If you see them live, it'll make sense." And I saw them live. And it did not. And or it I, made sense why you. Why I didn't like didn't them. Like I thought them exactly. See, I was right. Or yeah, wrong. that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. I'm, uh, and, uh, and I haven't really bothered with them since. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, and maybe they've done some, maybe they've turned a corner, done some good stuff, but I don't care. And you had reviewed kindly um, my first solo record that was right. Black, Black Balloons. And, and is that why we talked, probably? Had I, I already so. reviewed that? Yeah, you had. And, you, and, and I think I, I said, some, somebody told me who you were, and I just said, said thanks. Yeah. Nice, nice review sort of thing. And, uh, and also, um, 
you know, your, your reputation would rather precede it, you know, and, right. and people kind of had this concept that <laughs> yes. this, this mean guy who just, yeah. you know, slagged everything off. Which I probably didn't even do that much then either. Well, no, I think you were, think you were well, just... Well, I probably did, huh? You were yeah. just getting into the stride. Just, just hitting my straps. <laughs> just, just finding out who I was. <laughs> no, but what I was going to say was, anyway, so sometime around then, because I, mean, I knew, yeah, same thing, I, I mean, I... I remember Slowboat from when it was in the old shop. I didn't yeah. go there much, but I did. Actually, remember buying it. Um, the first thing I ever bought from Slowboat was uh, um, this is fucking tragic, but it was a um, a trance remix album of Pink Floyd songs. It's the first, and I, I can't remember any details about it apart from that. I remember getting it home. To, uh, was my, no, no, this is my first year at uni. This is in the old shop. Yeah, it wasn't your, not blaming you, it wasn't your recommendation. But I, I remember that I took it home, played it, and I mean, God, this is fucking awful. And I was, at the time, was a massive Pink Floyd fan. And at, at the time, this is like bang on, sort of 1995, so it's when, for me, I was starting to listen to things like The Orb and things like that. So mm-hmm. I kind of went, this makes sense, I've got to try this, it's going to be fantastic. And I went home and went, this is the fucking pits. And I walked it straight back after <laughs> like half a listen. And Did they make you swap it? I believe that Steve was there and served me. I could be wrong, but Did I feel like... And I just I just said, I don't like this. Can I swap it for something else? And I swapped it for a Pink Floyd album. I think it was Obscured by Clouds. It's weird that I can remember that, but it was certainly one of the early... Pink Floyd ones that I obviously did not have, and I was building up my collection of Pink Floyd albums. Yeah, and you know, and I'm, I'm happily still a Pink Floyd fan. I can get away with not listening to them for years on end now. But yeah. um, but I, that's my memory, my first memory of Slowboat. So anyway, I knew Slowboat, and I knew the new, and I I knew you worked in the shop, but um, it was probably quite nice listening to your album without really knowing you. It probably kind of helps. Yeah, you know, it probably did kind of. Do you help. find it hard to? Um review music fairly by people that you know no I don't reckon I do uh, but I'm sure it is if that makes sense I I'd like to think it doesn't I've the only example I can really think of well there's two examples because I, I don't really try to hang out with too many musicians um, why, why would you well exactly I mean it's well it, it doesn't really work out for me. I've been at a few parties and things where there have been musicians that have kind of eyeballed me. And I, I'm not afraid of anyone. And, I, and I've actually had nice chats with people that I don't like their music and they don't like my writing and we've, you know, had nice chats. And, and that's fine. Um, but it's just not really something that I aim to yeah. do. You know? I mean, I, I really don't think that you have to like no. what, what somebody does no, to like them as a person. Exactly. Sometimes... It, you know, you can admire somebody because sometimes of what it's they your do. introduction to them or whatever. Yeah. Did but Did you see that great thing that um, Kozlik said? He's been doing this uh, tail out outro thing to yeah. to the last song on the new yeah. album, and he says he says the thing about if you see a band and you don't like the band, tell them how good their light show was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and if you yeah. don't like the band and you don't like their light show, you tell your own fucking songs. Yes. Form your own fucking band. And to answer your question, um, you, you don't care about the answer, you've moved on, but to answer your question, the only two people I can think of that I, I feel like I know to some reasonable degree that that make music that have some profile would be Rian Sheehan and Anika Moa. Yeah. They, would be, they would probably be the two examples, maybe Jan Halrego as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Rian, I, I, I can honestly say, hasn't put a foot wrong for me. I, I get what he's doing and I like it and it's, I, I, I've only just sort of come to this expression, but it's in my wheelhouse. It's totally in a range of music that I enjoy, appre- I enjoy and, we, and he and I have talked about that. And again, I listened to his first album when I, I really kind of didn't know him. I knew who he was, um, but I didn't know him. I don't actually think we'd met when I listened to his first album, and that kind of helps. And Anika, it's, it, you know, it's the same. I, I listened to her first couple of albums. I didn't know her until probably around the time of her third album, maybe. Um, I got to first talk to her and then, and then didn't meet her until much later. I don't know Anika very well. I really like her, I admire her, um, but I, I, had, I had problems with her last album and, and, and I feel like she kind of phoned it in and I wrote a review of it that was maybe a bit harsh, it certainly was, um, it certainly was one of the tougher reviews of her album that I saw and I, I think I might have even sent it to her. Which I don't, you know, it makes me sound like a fuckwit going around and say, you know, bam, take this, I didn't like your album, here you go. But I, th- I think I might have sent it to her, and I didn't hear anything back from her, and that was fine. And just recently she wrote to me, um, and you know, we've, we've had some messages since her album came out, and I had interviewed her around the time of it and stuff, and she wrote to me just the other week and said, um, hey, I just finally caught up with um, the review of my album you wrote geez, you don't hold back, um, you know, and, but it was really nice what she said, she basically just said, you know, good on you for saying what you think, and yeah. I, I, I actually, I think I'd had, I think I put a line in the review about, um, you know, she'll just toss this off and ignore this and move on, and she, she sort of referenced that and said, you know, I actually take it um, to heart, well not to heart, but I take it pretty strongly what you, what you said, and I understand where you're coming from, and all I would say is come to the show, and Mm. You know, you might, and I said, yeah, I'm real keen to come to the show. I'd love to, you know, I'm I'm keen to have her on the podcast, and mm. and and we'll probably talk more about that and other things if she does come on the podcast. But those are probably the only examples I can think of. It doesn't mm. really, as I say, it doesn't really come up that much. I I sometimes think that in terms of you know music stuff, like one of the most important things that you can ever learn is an understanding of like that some things are good but you don't like them mm. and some things um, are not good but you do like them. Mm. So and I, I sometimes wondered like does everybody think that they have good taste? Does everybody Probably. think that what they like is see I don't necessarily there are lots of things that I that I like and that I love that I yeah. know that I have sort of irrational reasons for liking. Yeah, yeah. Same. I mean I I don't try to hide and in fact, you know, I'm I write so much and broadcast so much in, in different ways doing this and, and Facebook do and you, stuff that do I don't think I like hide filter, do you filter what you do or, or do, you, nah. do you do you, you just you just write and say everything that you like I think so I mean I think I don't think I've ever hidden I don't think I'm sitting on some secret shame music wise that I haven't covered if, if I haven't covered it it's because I haven't worked out a way to do it or it's not interesting mm-hmm. I mean I could Fuck, there is some, you know, I could I could have written a story about at some point a blog about that Pink Floyd remix album, but clearly it's not a very interesting story. Um, that was a fucking shocking album. It was horrific, but it's not 
you know, it's not interesting. But, uh, you know, I've written about Phil Collins, and it's funny that people... That's the one thing that people remember. That's, Lionel yeah, Lionel yeah, Ritchie, yeah, yeah, Lionel Richie, Phil Collins, and it's like, it's not like I'm, um, you know, and I don't mind if people think I am, but it's not like I'm some fucking freaky, autograph-seeking, card-carrying fan of these guys. In fact, in the case of Phil Collins, I really only like the debut album. That's all I really like. Uh, I, in the right context, maybe there were, uh, certainly when I was a kid, I actually collected up his albums. I, I won't deny that. I had the tapes right up until the uh, Serious Hits Live, and I don't really have a problem with that. But it's not stuff I listen to now. But I still I still think, not only do I think face value is good, but I think, you know, but listen to it in the context of like, um, it, it, it actually lines up really well with McCartney too. You know, it lines up really well with um, Lindsay Buckingham's album from that time. It lines up really well with Fleet and Mac Tusk. All those albums that artists of a similar nature that have been around for a while that were making when they were kind of trying to work out what New Wave was and had trying to fit All of those things are sort of things that at various also, points in time have been... Um, you, you know, I mean, McCartney's been about as uncool yeah, as, yeah, as, it, as can it's, be. it's sort of possible yeah. to, to be. Um, you know, and in, in, in a lot of ways... The, the records, some of the records that some of those people made at times when they weren't very, it wasn't all that cool to say that you mm. liked Paul McCartney were probably better than records that were being made by people who, who were, you know, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't recall if somebody like Neil Young was always unimpeachably like now Neil Young I would have is thought a he was fundamental truth. Like yeah. nobody would, would admit to not liking Neil Young yeah. because it would be like saying, you know, I, I don't like I think people pick good yeah. music. Yeah. You know? People might say they don't like his voice or something when you know, but they still won't flat out say I don't like him. But I feel like he had an incredibly fucking shaky eighties. Pardon he, the pun. A really awful eighties, you know, like uh, really right up until freedom. A lot of his 80s output, you know... Uh, you go back to it now, trans is great. I love listening to trans. It's 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 quirky, it's weird, but I really like it. And but it's funny that that's it the, the record of his that's sort of singled out as people... Yeah, one of the bad ones. Really terrible, because, I mean, the one, for me, I can remember somebody playing it to me, it was landing on water, and oh, I just thought it was... It's another one... sounds so horrible. It's another fucking one I bought from Slowbo and returned. Oh, God. Not a great track record, eh? Nah. I think I've, I think I think those are about the only ones that I've ever. Maybe these are some of the things that scarred you. This is what led to you know yeah. devil skin copying it later uh, in the piece. Now I think those are the only things that I've actually bought from Slowboat and returned. I think those are the only two things I've missed. And it's, it's something that's going to fold or something like fold outside and shit. Landing on water is terrible, but they're all terrible. Um, one of the ones that I think gets off really lightly is um, Old Ways, the country album. From about '84, that's shit. The thing about Neil Young is he basically makes the same three or four yeah, records yeah, yeah. over and over again, and always oh, just very much sounds like them, you know somebody at the record company going, "Good if you did something to play Harvest again." Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and at various points in time, I imagine that was suggested to him, and he, and he did Harvest Moon, obviously, mm. and he did like, Silver and Gold. Silver and Gold. And they're good records. They're quite good, both of them. But, but then there's that always is always is bad. Um, Life isn't particularly good, the one after Landing on Water, that's like the worst Crazy Horse album. It's, it gets, it kind of sneaks by not getting mentioned because people go, oh it's the Crazy Horse, it must be kind of rock, it must be alright, but I won't listen to it, but it's actually shit. Or for Hawks and Doves, 
Hawks and Doves is, 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 I've come to enjoy that on vinyl because it's one of those ones where one, one side is really good. But you realise that at the time people thought um, uh, On the Beach was a disaster, it's totally. gloomy and it's, you know, it's yeah. definitely churning. It was one of the um, kind of revelations to me. I mean, I was a little young fan, but I didn't hear until it was put out on CD. Haven't really got hits on it, has it? And, well, I knew, yeah, what, uh, Walk On is on the um, decade, which I knew. Which is a and great compilation. A fantastic compilation. That was pretty much my starting point with Neil Young. In fact, my starting point was Ragged Glory because um, I had seen him playing on a tribute thing in Ragged Glory I read about in Guitar World of all places and I went out and bought it and thought it was amazing. But then I was like, what else do I get? It's and no mean decade. feat to compile, you know, even like a triple album set like that, that would satisfy both somebody who was being introduced to somebody's music and, and devotees. the fan. Yeah, 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 totally. It's, that is one of the great compilations. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon, you know? I always like that um, Violent Femmes one that did that too. A oh, single yeah. disc back there. Uh, I think it might be called Added Up or something um, where they do that. Mm. A lot of like obscure things, unreleased things, um, B-sides. But, just all and, but all the hits too, and some some of them are live versions. So they, they found a way for people who already had those first couple of records and then that's all they need yeah. to actually fork out for it. What I, what I wanted to say to you was, uh, around the time I first met you, I um, I actually thought your love of rugby was ironic. <laughs> <laughs> I totally did for, for quite a while. I just assumed, like, I remember hearing you, even after I knew you, I remember hearing you talk about it in the shop, and I thought you must actually deep down be joking. It's one of those things. But, and so I've come to like your Taylor Swift enthusiasm to me is on a par with how I thought you felt about rugby. <laughs> I think that one day, it, like, and maybe you've gone so far to convince yourself so much that you're not sure. But okay, well, let me just. But you, no, no, no. Right well, I was just gonna say, you, you don't need to justify the rugby. justify the rugby thing. I, I think people know that know you that you're fully into rugby. I said, yeah. Even even if you hadn't done the book, by the way. Yeah. It's not I, like the book made. I think. I, I, I cast my mind back to you know, the day that I broadly referred to as you know, one of the greatest in my life when, um, when Johnny Marr from the Smiths came into the story. And the funny and thing about that was that um, you know, I, I would have, at, at a push, as I was growing up you know, in, in Timaru, and even when I moved to Christchurch, you know, this friend of mine used to joke about, oh, you know, back in Christchurch, you know, in your paisley mm. shirts, riding around the square on your Vespa, listening to the Smiths. So the thing, and I go, it wasn't like that. And I go, it was sort of like that. Yeah, I um, wish it was like but, that. <laughs> but, I, but I always, um, you know, I would have, if you'd asked me what I liked best about the Smiths, I would have said, I, I guess, Morrissey. Mm. And if I look back on it now, I realise that Mar was a much bigger deal to me, and every guitar I've yeah. ever owned was in an imitation of something that I'd seen him playing. So the day that um, that Johnny Marr was here with the Cribs, um, with, and, and he came into the store, I, I kind of teed it up yeah. um, beforehand, and he came into the store, and he was just the greatest guy. Like, if he lived here, he would be somebody that you would... What's your preparation for that? Do you, like, get an early night's sleep? Do you, like, go through Smith's albums? No, well, I wasn't, read I wasn't entirely sure that it would happen. Yeah, but even so, I imagine you do some prep. Do you I read a, a couple of, like, Wikipedia entries? or? A, or no, I know it all, man. I've got okay. a little story. Yeah. Um, and I brought in my copy of, of this first Smith single, the Hand and Glove single, and he came in, it was just lovely, and he posted pictures with people, and he, and he 
Jeez. Sign my record and he turned it over and he went to us. First person in Manchester address. And I like it when, yeah, yeah. when people know their own you know, catalogue does so well enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and, and while he was there and we were all having our photographs taken, like one, one of our, our um, regular customers um, is, is Ma Nori, who's a yoga instructor. So while, um, while Johnny Ma was there, who walks through the door of Marnonu and makes one of his irregular appearances. And I felt in that second, and Steve said to Johnny, he said, oh, Johnny, do you want your photograph taken with an all black? And Johnny, Johnny said, oh, I'm not really What's interested. I'm not really, don't really yeah. like rugby. Yeah. So, but, you know, the moment of the Johnny Marnonu photo was, was lost. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but I felt like in that moment, I, I had to make a choice. You took a mental photograph. Me to a photograph, and and then afterwards. Who did you pick? Well, I knew that Johnny was only going to be. I'm going to see Man on it. I could, I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm so, not. And then Scott came back after after Johnny had gone and with, with Mark. Yeah. And I said, you didn't know who that guy was. Yes, yes, I do. So Johnny, somebody, he's the best guitar player in the world. <laughs> and I said, he just told you to say that, but he went, yeah. See, I heard, um, I heard them around the wrong way, and I. I I never really heard the Smiths growing up. I, I heard Morrissey because I had a small handful of friends that liked Morrissey, and I I, I remember seeing a couple of singles. I remember um, like seeing a couple of video clips. I can remember seeing because they weren't really a video no, clip band. No, no, but I can remember seeing like live performance type yep. things of um, the two that stuck out to me were for of, of Morrissey were um, "You're the One for Me," Fatty, and "Master International Playboys," and. I sort of went, that's okay, but I don't know how I feel about it, I don't, I don't know what I think of that. And I bought that World of Morrissey compilation, which, which I still quite like, but overall listening to that, I kind of went, it's a bit wet, it doesn't mean anything to me. And I don't know how I got onto the Smiths, I think I, I think someone loaned me a tape, which I still had a tape playing in my car. But anyway, the Smiths made sense to me because, yeah. because of Johnny Marr, because it was more um, overtly you know, pop tune based. Whereas Morrissey to me has always been, the, I, know, I think I've told you this before, but um, You Are The Quarry is to me one of the good, great, really great Morrissey albums because I think yeah. he's, I think in, in, his, in the context of his solo career, he's fully and finally realising himself as this great crooner. Yeah, I think there are three good Morrissey solo records, I think. Viva Hates, yeah, great, and you know, immediately post Smith's and it's got Vinnie Riley from the Duran yeah, yeah, yeah. and I just think and it's got a string section and it just opened up this whole thing of like could go anywhere with this now and he and he chose to go pretty much precisely nowhere with it he got the rockabilly band yeah, yeah. and you know and m m musically it, it was all very safe and very very four square and quite raucous yeah. and I think for somebody who w always sort of seemed to be kind of trying to reject in the same way that I sort of felt like I was trying to reject that sort of rugger bugger kind of yeah, yeah. culture it was like suddenly he'd just sort of given in to this sort of like sludgy kind of rock thing but then I think Voxel and I is a really beautiful record yeah. and then I would say Yo, The Quarry is probably, probably yeah. the next one and, I, and I've gone back to most of those records there's you know there's a couple of Morrissey records I'm fudgy on but but yeah, those records you mentioned, those those earlier ones are great as well. But I, I, I kind of rely on the compilations. Yeah, and I think like the Smiths compilation, Hatful of Hollow. I just I think you know, given that it is a compilation and it's lots of the stuff from the mm. like the early John Peel sessions and stuff. I just think it hangs together so perfectly, and it's such a you know, there's something that people sort of say that thing about like a debut album. Yeah, yeah. Having having the most 
you know, and, set. And the most, it is the most raw and real that you can yeah, yeah, usually, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it wasn't the, the debut album, but the, the debut album was kind of forward, but that, uh, if anybody, you know, doesn't know the Smiths records, I would say that's probably the Yes, I think the first one I heard from enough was the last one. Ah, Strange Ways. Yeah, and and so that that kind of to me is still the sentimental favourite for me because it's I, I feel like it's um it's pretty much without like you know maybe you have a different opinion on it but I feel like it's pretty much without fault like uh, selection wise everything on it works and it's not too I long. love it but I think it's you know by that point. You, you know, its stylistic range is broader than yeah. the other things, and I think you know you could see quite clearly that that Ma was. Well, that's the funny thing about it. I was going to say, if I if I then line up a compilation or whatever, and I, and I really got my battle and bonds is probably a compilation for me. But if I line up a compilation, um, I don't really care about anything. It's on strange ways separately, but I like it as an album that kind of hangs together. But I don't actually isolate tracks from the. And there probably are some great tracks, I mean, yeah. you know, that I don't actually go, that's a great song, I just go, I, just, I, I find it incredibly difficult to be yeah. because, you know, I, I, I find it incredibly easy to be quite critical of both Small faces, nearly. <laughs> nearly. <laughs> Who else was he going to say? You know, uh, Stone Roses would. Yeah. Be, you know, but but you know, they, they even sort of, the, even the Stones. If you actually just take the London, if you take that as a separate band, you could almost yeah. almost. I, I find it hard to think about the Stones as just being one band. You can't now, sort of that's think, the thing. But the early not just because stuff. of the label thing, but the Brian yeah. Joe. You know, like the the lineup changes and and. The first few albums, the blues thing is not really my thing. I love them when they're that man. kitchen sinky kind of pop band when yeah. they're at their most like kinks like Mother's Little Helper. Yeah, yeah, aftermath that sort of thing. Have you seen your mother, baby? And the, yeah. the, I love all that stuff. Just, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, you know, under my thumb. That's their best songwriting. After that, it's mostly just riff writing. And then, but I love you know if, if you were to say what are the strongest Stones records, I would always say that Lee's been yeah. They're, they're the two that I listen to the most. And Sticky Fingers is pretty great, I reckon, and of all their reissues, that's the one that I They are fully with. one of those bands that I, I hold it against them, the bad things that they have influenced. And, yeah. some, and their worst music sounds like, it actually sounds like one of their many bad imitators. Like, it's only rock and roll, I just think it's... it's Awful. It's cynical. Yeah, it's, lo- and it's launched a thousand shitty pub bands and and the Black Crows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, take me to uh, what it was what was happening in Timaru. You were would have been at school in the late eighties through to maybe the very early nineties. Yeah. So I I moved to Christchurch in the early early nineties, and uh, you know it's a long time ago now, and you mm. sort of you forget how different the world was. Like, having just come back from Europe, like, one of the... When I was last in... When I lived in England, 98, 99, 
people didn't really have cell phones. So mm. like walking mm. around now and everyone is just looking at their phones. Face down. Like that sort of thing. So if I sort of think back, you know, it's in some ways I find it difficult to think back to a, like a pre-internet world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how anybody ever got anything right. Yeah. Did, did they just spend relied lots of time their, in the library and... Relied on their memories and the things that they were taught. And it seems really foreign now, doesn't it? We don't retain information. I mean, I, I still remember phone numbers from when I was a kid of people I no longer haven't seen in 30, yeah. 30 years, but I can't remember your phone number. No. I, I don't know it, but it's in my phone, so yeah. I just look at it that way. Um, I've I, I just been down in Timaru again, actually, and uh, I mean, I can, I can now see why, you know, even being so, so far away from, from where it is being written about, but why the Smiths impact me so massive. Mm. Like, you know, it rainfalls hard on a humdrum town, this town is dragged down, it's a bit of a mug, and so if you make nobody understands me, I'm so sensitive, and you know, why, don't, why don't people understand, you know, how deepened. So I, I only know a handful of people from Timaru and know of a couple of others and they're all very creative, successful, talented people. Um, Present company accepted. No, um, no, 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 not, not at all. But um, so what, what, was go, what, was, what was your experience of it? What was happening I there? Because, and I've only been, I've never been to Timaru. Right. I drove through it in the car on a family holiday in the early to mid 80s. So right, I think so we drove. Finished, we literally drove right through it without stopping. You so. finished school in Timaru, and then if you're going to go to university, you either went to Otago, where which or, was or Canterbury, or, or Canterbury. And most of the people that I went to school with went to Otago because they wanted to drink a lot of piss. And, and it was fractionally closer. And no, it's well, no, further really away. Yeah. But but um. You know, in Otago, the student life was sort of legendary, but I'd always liked Christchurch more than that. And in my school holidays, I used to um, I'd get on the bus and I'd save up my lawn mowing and babysitting money and stuff, and I'd go to Christchurch for the day, and I'd go... In those days, there were two Echo Records shops, and there was Galaxy Records and there was Radar Records as well. And I used to go up and I'd buy English... Indie, indie records, and I met uh, a guy who worked at Echo Records called Steve Burse, who became the drummer in Cinematic. And, um, y y you know, this is, comes back to that thing of, you forget how, how massively things have changed, but, so I used to get the NME and the Melody Maker, and they were three months old by the yeah, time yeah. we got them, because they were <laughs> sheep sea yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, sometimes you, you, you would get and held on to them like oh, they yeah, were for the sure. The most oh, like, the, scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And at that point, you know, and the other thing about the Smiths, say, is that, you know, Morrissey, the interviews that he was giving, was giving were every bit as good as the music. Like, yeah, yeah. it was just such a, you know, he was you know, witty and erudite and funny, you know. I think mm. the thing that people and sometimes savage. miss about them was just how funny they were. Yeah. Like, 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 hilariously, you know, and often sort of, quite black humour and stuff but so the music press but it was it was quite possible that you would get import records before um, you'd 
even read about them yeah, and, yeah, and, right. and the music press yeah. and stuff. But and the other thing was, you know, reading reading about things and like when the when the kind of thing that is now referred to as like shoe gazing was big and so there were all those bands, My Bloody Valentine and they always get lumped in with but, like Ride and those things, but but all those things were a lot later. But you read about these things sometimes before you heard the music as yeah. well. And there were those guys like Simon Reynolds, you know, some of them were really good writers yeah, guys yeah, who yeah. wrote for and Simon Reynolds who who wrote like Rip It Up and Start Again yeah. and he wrote the book about techno and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the, a good Post punk uh Yeah. He's written a bunch of good he, books. He's really good, but and he wrote about things. He was, you know, he probably looks back at the stuff that he wrote. You know, what was now twenty years ago? Has, more than his dance music book. I should remember the title of it. Retro, Retro Mania. No, that's, no, that's that's a more recent one. No, the the ecstasy something generation ecstasy oh, or something yeah. ecstasy. That is a great book. But the Retro Mania is kind of okay. It's it's good writing, but it's a it's one of those books where it's like. Uh, half a dozen feature articles rather than a book, so it's sort of, it runs its course a bit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's too big for a feature. It's too big for a feature article, but yeah. it's not enough for a book. But he made it a book anyway. It's a bit like that. So there's a bit of repetition. Hey, but you, you've um, you touched on something else I wanted to bring up, but I'll, I'll try and remember. But first of all, I wanted to say, um, so where did you get to? What got you to music? Like listening to it, buying it, being a guy who goes to Christchurch and buys records, imports, magazines. Yeah, I what, guess so. what was your first? Yeah, but what was the first sort of thing you can remember about music being an important thing in your life? How far um, back can you go? Uh, and who was formative in terms of? I I started um I started having guitar lessons at Timaru Boys High School because it got me out of double, double science on a on a Tuesday to go and have guitar lessons and they were like nylon string lessons and it was all very proper and you had to sit like this with your yeah. foot up on a thing and play with you. And I didn't really want to do that, I wanted to have an electric guitar and I wanted to play, you know, have a long guitar strap and yeah. I wanted to play with a plectrum and, yeah. you know, just, just rock, man, you know. And I was, you know, you know that, that thing of like having a tennis racket and pretending yeah. it was a guitar and that sort of thing and then, and I had like a little mini, like, three-quarter size Stratocaster with one pickup and this little little piddly amp yeah. that made a noise like a, you know, sort of bee farting in a jar. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought that was just so cool. And then I had like a, a band at high school with some with some friends of mine and a couple of sort of bands and, and um, a couple of the guys who I played, played with, uh, you know, when I would have been like 14 or so, one of them is a guy called um, Richard Wall, who, Rich Mixter, who plays in Jordan Luck band now, and uh, and another guy called Steve Deans was the drummer. And I remember we used to go to his his house and practice in his bedroom um, while his parents were sitting in the other room, chain smoking and watching Coronation <laughs> Street. And he had pet turtles in a in an aquarium thing that you know, he used to get a bit agitated when we were playing. But listening wise, what were you? Uh, informed I, by because um, one thing I I feel like I know about you and and and. You know, you you're not going to be the only one, but you play the guitar and you still play the guitar and can play the guitar and and, and learned, um, had like had lessons. But you don't strike me as someone who ever went through a guitar hero phase in the rock out kind of shred sense and not all that at all. stuff. Uh, yeah, I think it was always, and I loved that idea of you know, so the Smiths obviously yeah. it always comes back to Smith, doesn't it? But I love like Lloyd Cole and I love Aztec Camera and. The 
there were people who used uh, guitars as a... I love that idea that Ma kind of had about using the guitar to, to you know, create like a whole record, you know, mm. sort of playing in a way that was both sort of percussive and melodic mm. and, 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 and supporting, you know, always being about the song and, you know, and so, so, so a lot of things I got interested in were from people, you know, things that people mentioned in interviews, so somebody like the birds would get brought up, so I'd go back yeah. and check out the birds and then the Beatles and, um, and you know, work my way through the Beatles and and Dylan and Stones and all these all these things that were the things mm. that you were you know and at, at some point the penny must have kind of dropped that man you can listen to music that isn't just contemporary music you can listen yeah, to yeah you can go any music the back back and you don't only have to listen to pop music rock, rock music yeah. played by and you know oh don't know, don't know about jazz jazz might be a bit a scary bit freaky but. You know, it's just a question of somebody steering you towards something yeah. that, that you are able to understand. And everything, you know, Elvis Costello said something once. He was another big, big one for me. Mm. But just about music running off in all directions, it doesn't just follow one mm. one kind of path. But I, I think I, I love the idea of, you know, and also it's quite a sort of compact thing to be able to sing and play guitar. And then when I moved to Christchurch and I met, you know, and I knew Steve Burse and there was another guy that I met, his name uh, was, was then David Hunt, now Francis Hunt, who um, was the uh, guitarist in the stereo bus right. later yeah. on. And he um, he played in some really, really good Kath uh, Christchurch bands. He played a band called Catherine Wheel. Yeah, yeah. And I then later he had a band called Super Tanker. And he was the first person that I met who, um, you know, I didn't really know people in Timaru who were like, Artists. Yeah, right. You know, he was like the first person that I met who, like, he existed solely for the purpose of expressing his art. Yeah. You know, and I just thought he was amazing. He was doing an audio engineering course in Christchurch, so I went in and did a little bit of recording of my so sensitive acoustic balladry. So when did him. you, when did you trust yourself around singing, and when did you? Oh, I always sang. Yeah. I, I had singing lessons when I was okay. a kid. And so that was before so I was guitar. Like a, right. I was like a boy soprano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um, what I thought, but I just wasn't. Uh, no, I was always pretty. Sweet. And what were the f family members that were singers? What, like my parents, my grandfather sang. Um, uh, he, you know, he liked kind of opera stuff, but then they lived in the in the Waikato. They lived in a place called Madamada. And um, so, uh, you know, he was a very sort of larger-than-life character and he's, you know, big, big voice and... Mm -hmm. um, but they have, that, that have any sort of impact on you in the sense that it sort of does because you're recording it now, but like, was he someone that you had any sort of musical bonding with at all or was it more just... No, you, I just you later on understood that he did that? I just, I thought that he was... You know, he was a pretty amazing character. Like right. he was, he was uh, kind of complex and uh, was, you know, he was probably kind of crazy, but he was larger than life, and he was just exciting. And me and all my cousins just thought that he was, he was just like, whoa. And I think you know, all our parents thought that he was, you know. So when did you the ass, when did you know that you could marry up an ability to sing with an ability to play the guitar?
did that come instantly? Like, in that after you can kind of get your way around the guitar a little bit, you're like, oh, well, I can already sing, so I'll just start... I, I don't know. I think I'm... Singing I, things out. And I had, a, like, a band at high school at, at, at Timber Boys, and I think we got to play it a few. And people used to... Because, you know, there wasn't really anywhere you could go. There wasn't really anything you could do. So we used to um, hire a... You know, somebody would hire a, a, a hall, mm. and they'd, they'd get kegs, and everyone would pay, like, $10... And for you know as much as they could drink sort of thing. So the first gig that I ever played was in the reasonably salubrious um, in environment of the Caroline Bay Hall that was uh, had a sprung dance floor and yeah. this, this polished floor. And we went down and we set up our we set up our gear and um, and then we went away and then we and then we came back and we were really ready really for the big debut mm. performance. And um, and by the time we got back at about quarter past nine, the whole floor was awash with beer and vomit and and snogging teenagers. <laughs> and I think we played about three songs, and then the cops came and shut it down, sort of thing. But I, I, it sort of seemed like an amazing thing to me to do to be able to and and also to play music with other people, you yeah. know, um, and that you could, you know, oh well, I I can play a little bit, and you can. And, oh, you're going to play drums and you're going to play bass yeah. and there's, you know, somebody else. And be between you, you could make a noise that actually sounded a bit like... Resembled a record. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, that sounded yeah. like a band. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because you had this... I mean, yeah. you know, it was probably pretty huckery if you, if you could listen to it. If you had tapes of it now, yeah. But I, no, I, I sort of remembered sort of like... I, you know, wrote... Was it always quite structured around the idea of songs? Yeah, it was never, never sort of jamming. Never jamming. Because no. you weren't listening to that stuff. Not really, no. You weren't listening I to prog and you weren't listening to it. big bluesy mountain jazz. And it and wasn't about sort of musicianship. Yeah. I think yeah, it was yeah, always it was about, about songs. songs and yeah. it was about... Um, Singing and pop yeah. tunes and... and, and, and yeah. melodies. Okay. You know, so when does... Melodic stuff. And, and arguably a lot of that other messy, noisy stuff hasn't really ever come into your listening? I mean, it has, you're aware of it, and, and obviously through through your various jobs, but do you know what I mean? Like in your personal listening, uh, you strike me as someone who still very much cares about the framework of the song. I love when things are um, beautiful and well-constructed and a bit distressed sounding, though. So a, a really formative thing for me in, in Christchurch was uh, going in one of my holiday trips up and Steve Bruce handed me a copy of My Bloody Valentine right. and anything yeah. and I got it and he said I, you, you'll love this you know just give, give it a bit of time and I got it home and so there was this weird thing that happened so while I was going home on the bus you know he pulled the records out and some of them had you know lyric sheets and he read the lyric sheets and stuff but you could look at the record look at the grooves on the record and you go okay that'll be a loud one that'll be a quiet yeah, one yeah. that sort of thing that, that all sort of got lost um, later in the piece but you know listening to things that sounded like like you, that, you know something that sounded a bit like stereo was a bit a bit broken yeah, and, then, yeah. and then you know later I remember he taped for me the the tremolo EP that was very woozy yeah, like you yeah. know bending in and out of tune yeah. sort of thing and when, when I was in the UK there was one night I was at a pub um, and I met Kevin Shields at the bar from My Bloody Valentine and I sort of felt like I made a complete ass of myself. Mm. I, I may have um, d 
you know, said to his face that he was our generation's Brian Wilson. <laughs> May have. Hopefully Undocumented. didn't think I might have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and I went back over to, to my friends with a guy called Richard Gordon who managed bands who were on creation and stuff. And mm. I said, I just made the biggest jerk of myself to, in front of one of my heroes. Kevin Shields and said, oh, he's, you know, he's a pretty nice guy, he's, he's quite shy. And then, he, and then he came back over and, he, and I just ended up talking to him for ages and I told him, told him about he, having a tape of, somebody had taped the Tremolo EP for me and listening to it on my cassette Walkman on my bike and thinking that my Walkman was running out of batteries and sort of thumping the Walkman mm. as he used to do to sort of try and get a bit more juice through it. <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he laughed and he said, when I dropped the master tape of that creation, I got a call half an hour later said that you can get new master tapes like stretched. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I quite like yeah. that sort of his experience with creating your echo mind with yeah. lis listening, listening to it on the other side of the world. And, you know, because New Zealand really did seem, you know, New Zealand was further away from the rest of the yeah, world yeah, than yeah, it is now. You know, it's a pre-internet. Pre so. Yeah, of course. Um, so take me to throw and cinematic and Christchurch and first record store job. Oh yeah, all of that. So um, how, does all, how does all of that fit into place for you? Well, I started playing in a band with Steve Burse and with David Hunt yeah. and a guy called Dylan Pallet, who yeah. then worked at uh, uh, later worked at Flying Nun and is now at IMNZ, and we we sort of kind of practice and stuff but we I think we only played once or twice and then uh, uh, Steve had already been in a band with Rob and and we we just sort of ran through some songs and Rob submitted it for a, an arts council it was a Queen Elizabeth Arts Council grant and Before we got, we got yeah. yeah we got a, a grant so suddenly it was sort of a band thing and that sort of went for a while but we were really quite incompatible right so and that that sort of ended sort of fairly abruptly and I just I really wanted um, to have a band where uh, I, I, I I sort of felt like I knew what I wanted yeah, to yeah, do yeah. and so you and wanted to be the chief songwriter yeah, well, I, I wanted to be the lead voice, the spokesperson. The well, I, I, I felt like I knew what what it what yeah. I what I wanted. You wanted it, to, it, take, to be. You wanted to be the person in charge of where it went. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and so and I hooked up with a couple of friends of my then flatmate, who were James Guthrie and Andrew Friend, and they were, you know, they were both really good players, and and they were like quite psyched to be in a band, and uh, and initially we had another drummer, and then Steve Bruce came back so we made two albums and then a third album that, that nothing ever happened with and then I mm. and then I kind of went to the UK. Um, I, I worked when I finished at Varsity, I did an English literature degree and when I finished at Varsity I got a job in the university bookshop mm -hmm. in the at the record and the at the record counter there. So that was sort of cool because I kind of stayed at connected to the university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and it was music so and I could buy records at cost price. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and that was important. And then and then I got a job at Echo Records and yeah, because yeah. um, I remember Cinematic, but I don't think I ever, I'm pretty certain I never saw Cinematic, but I do, like I have friends that I knew in Wellington that 
went to gigs at the day yeah. and and I had a flatmate that had one of, I can't remember which one but had one of the cinematic albums and yeah so I remember listening to to that stuff well Fraser McInnes sort of took us under his yeah, wing yeah, and, yeah. and you know he I mean he he was such a champion of New Zealand music and like the old bodega bar that, yeah. is, that is now the Bresolin yeah you know man that was that was just a magic place yeah I remember you know, pretty much all of the gigs I went to there, which in the scheme of things was not a whole lot because I was only probably here for five years, the yeah. last five years of its. But I still went to lots of things. You know, oh, so yeah. met King Loser a bunch of times and yeah. uh, some of the very first dinner gigs and then loads, you know, and, and, and um, the week that they closed it and they had Graham Downs one week and Chris Knox the next night and you yeah, saw Paulie Barnard-Jones there a dozen times and all these different things. I, I was thinking about it a lot this week because I've just had the the JPS yes. um, yeah. uh, like rain reissue box yeah. thing and uh, yeah, and I've so, just so got that. Fraser would um, would get me um, up from Christchurch because I was you know I was just me and I was an easy support act for yeah. whoever else and so I played. Solo. Yeah, I played before Shane Carter playing, you know, and at that point I was like, come on, this is a pretty big deal, you know, yeah, yeah. Shane Carter, and, and also before JPS, um, after Bleeding Star come out, I was loved that I love that Bleeding Star record. And, um, and, uh, and they had Matthew Heine had joined on guitar, and he was, he was like quite kind of sonic, and I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, coming back to your thing of like not really like noisy things. So I didn't really like like Sonic Youth. Yeah. But I loved, you know, My Buddy Valentine. I loved Husker Du. I liked things that, that had that sort of energy and aggression. Mm. But uh, I, I liked them to be, you know, to feel. And things like JPS had that too, and had that too that they had it distilled, you know? Like yeah. Were, you can see they were probably listening to that stuff, but yeah. making their their shapes. Yeah, I sort of quite like that idea of things being influenced by things that are, that are farther out yet. Yeah. Well this is a weird thing with music isn't it, is that people go, uh, who, who are your influences, you read these interviews, I do interviews with people, and you say who are your influences, they know a bunch of things they think they might sound like, or they hope to sound like, or they sound, you know, or they sound exactly like, and that's very depressing. We were talking about something like that at the shop this week. We were playing um, the second teenage fan club record, this called Ben Wagons, and uh, and you know, people people sort of started dissing them at that time because it was NME's album of the year in '91, ahead of Sweet Delica and Loveless. Yeah. And at the time, people were going, "Oh, it's just a big star ripoff." And yeah. The thing is, in 1991, you know, I, I don't reckon. You know, pre-internet again. I don't reckon that many people knew who Big Star were. So, and, and I mean, I only, I only think that you know, teenage fan clubs sound like they sound like the Big Star stuff that I like best. You know? And, and but, but it's funny, isn't it? Like people, because people will always sort of name check things that that you go. Really? Because you know you sort of mentioned Sun Ra and yeah. and Can and all these things, and I just think you sound like Coldplay. You know. Yeah. Well, that's it. People go too far the other way of trying to, you know, I better, I better name these like either <laughs> touchstone things or just things that are a million miles of what I do. 
Yeah. But it used to be that people actually just named things that sound exactly what, what they sound like. See, I reckon that... It's more honest, I suppose. Most of what ways, people do in terms of making their own music is they take the things that they love and they they try and make something that sounds like an amount Totally, like that, totally. Surely, you try and make something that, that doesn't exist Absolutely. out of the influences that you already have. Which isn't a bad way to start. It's, uh, you know, really isn't a bad way to start, so long as that's, like, confined to the practice room. Because it's a bit like that idea of, like, how do you find your voice as a writer? Well, you rip people off, you imitate them, you know, bad, bad poets borrow, good poets steal. You you assemble these things. Was that, that, was that Bono? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, he stole it from T.S. Eliot. Um, you, you, um, you know, you grab these things in and around you and, you and you look at them and you emulate them, but then through that you find your voice, which ends up being not just those things. So I reckon I, it takes... This, you know, there are people who immediately have a totally individualistic mm. you know stylistic voice but there are a lot of people that I reckon it takes them a long long yeah, time to totally. even somebody as idiosyncratic as Bob Dylan and, yeah, and totally. start, he's just trying to be Woody Guthrie yeah totally was, for the first couple know, of records and then uh, maybe mid, if, if you're kind maybe midway toward, and through the second record you can see some glimpses but the first one and I don't dislike that first album because it's you know it's a bit of history or whatever but it's not really something you feel like. You're, same with the first Beatles album, eh? Yeah, you don't really feel compelled well, to listen the birds, to them. Like the, you could actually describe the birds as simply as saying, I wonder what it would sound like if we performed Bob Dylan songs in the style of the Beatles. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yes. great idea. I remember you know, Swayed, I remember thinking, God, this is just like the David Bowie impersonator fronting the Smiths. Yeah. And then I went, hang on, that's a really great idea. Yeah, yeah, you can see why they thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you did... Um, and you've probably still done over the last few years um, some solo supports for people. You've, you've, you've played in front of some pretty interesting people, some international... I feel incredibly fortunate that as a music fan, I've gotten to meet, you know, people who are, who are, you know, really massive heroes yeah. of mine. Like uh, Lloyd Cole. Well, yeah, Lloyd Cole, I would now consider... This sounds terrible. But yeah, it does. I, I would now consider him to be a friend. Yeah. You know, he's a very, very nice man. He's yeah. he's, he's clever. It does and sound he's, terrible. And but he's funny. Fine. I know yeah. it's the truth. But you, you, are, you, you are a bit of a star fucker, though, as well, aren't you? Wow. Really. Converse, like, anecdotally. <laughs> well, anecdote-wise, you are a bit of a sometimes, star fucker. I sometimes think, you know, that like, like, like when, when people tell stories, they've either got to be... You can tell great stories about people that 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 other people don't know who they are mm. or you can tell you know okay stories about people who you know who they do know who they are but but you know try, try and impress on people that don't tell not great stories about people who don't know who they are but, but um sometimes it's difficult are you open for mark cosley yeah which yeah, was another example of i imagine the guy who's sort of a hero of yours in a sense at least. Yeah. Or someone you admire. Some of his music, some of his music at least, has been pretty important. Oh, uh, maybe all of his music. Yeah. All of the stuff you want to listen to, right? All of the stuff that I own. You know, very few people that I bought. You know, all his records throughout his career. Um, and and you know, just when I thought, uh, you know, okay, that's it. I've had enough. Mm. He makes what I would consider to be one of the best records of his career. Do you mean the Christmas one? <laughs> <laughs> Touché. <laughs>
Um, but, uh, but, that was an astonishing record, though, wasn't it? Oh. I mean, it was uh, and, and continues to be. And it's, and it's funny, you know, I was thinking about this relative to, to David Bowie the other day. I was sort of thinking about people who I sort of hold to be kind of great artists. Sometimes you can see their musical development, you know, so if you go through those, and, and something that I think that Bowie's been quite clever at doing is disguising his artistic progression with the pop star thing. So he, he so the, the, Ziggy, the whole Ziggy Stardust persona was a great way of him, him you know, deflecting attention from, from the progression he was making you know, as, a, as a composer and as a songwriter. So the thing is, so, so, so with, um, with Mark Kozlik, the Among the Leaves, some new moon record, I, I sort of got where it was going, this very sort of narrative-driven dri and diaristic and unfiltered thing, and I just sort of thought, it's, you know, I don't really care what you had for breakfast or that you bought a bottle of water from the 7-Eleven or... You know, I walked down the street and it was a little bit cold. I was, I, it felt like a an artistic mm. dead end, and then he just totally found a way to contextualise it mm. with the Benji mm. record. And and I, I, you know, it's mm. it's kind of um, so that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've met um, you know, I've met lots of people who. Um, uh, you know, and like weird, weird meetings, meeting um, uh, uh, Henry Winkler at Echo Records. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you get to meet, you've got, gotten to meet people through the shops too, like Slowboat yeah. Slow is a, um, you know, um, Phil O'Brien, Dennis's brother, was on here talking, saying Slowboat is one of those places where all the musicians in town who care about music yeah. end up finding themselves there. They either yeah. get told about it or they already know about yeah, it. Yeah, some of them when Robert Plant came into the show. Some of them, so exactly. Well, that was the, that was what we were talking about. He was talking about how proud he was to see that photo of Robert Plant yeah. with a slow boat bag because it meant a lot to him. Knowing it was so I was at the, the back of the shop and, and Catherine, Catherine in the shop came out and went, oh my God, Robert Plant's in the shop. And I, should have, I, I, can't, I can't talk to him. Like, yeah, I'm can't just too overwhelmed. Yeah. And I sort of think, well, it's actually not that big a yeah. deal to me because yeah. you know, I appreciate that he's really he's great. famous yeah. and, and that he's really good and everything. But Led Zeppelin are just not a band that I've... Care too much about. Yeah, so it just went out like, You know that it's that thing you were saying, you know they're good. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yeah. in some ways, I like you know, music that he's made since then. Yeah, totally. More than I like. Yeah. But I appreciate that they are one of those bands. And that he had to do that to do what he's done after, to, to react, you know, yeah. to react against. Yeah, totally. And, you know, he was. He was. I love it when you sort of meet these people and they're still like crazy music. Yeah, yeah. You know, I sort of think it's really easy to get jaded about you know anything that becomes. You know, sometimes I think I. I'm sure you feel exactly the same way. Sometimes you think the thing I least feel like doing right now is listening to music. Like mm. it's it's not yeah, you know, music's a treat for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I I feel like a lot of the time it, it's it is just you know a lot of music and it just all ends up sounding a bit like. I've started to, to enjoy um, a little bit of silence a little bit more often now. Actually, I didn't used to. I used to fill. As much of the day, you would have just music. I, I've always sort of thought with how much you wrote about music that you must be listening to music 
in your every waking moment. And I was really for a long, long time. And and there'll probably be times when I'm close to that again. Uh, I was, um, but now, you know, now things have changed. You know, like in writing online, writing blogging, you you in with having you know YouTube and stuff, you just bring things up to look at to remind, you know remind yourself of something oh that's the trigger for today I'll, I'll go off on that topic yeah but I needed to watch that again and it isn't as ritualistic as oh well I'm going to lift out this album and sit do you down have things it. that you feel like you you know I have albums that you know even things that I quite like at, at, at the shop that I would never listen to at home yep, yep. and other things well I used to work in music stores and I yeah. definitely had that then yeah absolutely things were shop music and things yeah. were home music and it was good to keep things separate there are and things there that I would never play at the shop yeah of course I, I just wouldn't you don't want them ruined no. and, and they might not work and all of that but you actually it's more selfish than that you don't want them ruined don't want them shared don't want them shared a little bit you want to you know keep them for yourself you wouldn't play that Paul Buchanan record in store would you uh, well, I, think that we, you I thought that we did no but I mean you wouldn't want to in, in a perfect world that's the sort of thing you want to much as you want to You'll probably, it's tricky because you kind of want to sell units too. Still. <laughs> you know, that's the thing, don't you? You want to kind of. I, I, I still get a real genuine kick from when somebody has obviously been really affected by music. You know, I, and I think about, you know, how, how, and I, I mean, one of the most amazing things, that I, I could probably at a push recall every significant record store person that I have known mm. you know it's, 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 so it's an amazing yeah, gift to same. and seeing like young young people now coming in and you know and people sometimes go oh you know slow about top 50 like oh you know Astro Weeks and Pet Sounds mm. and all those sort of things but I mean there's a reason why those that's, things are there that's there and there's a reason why some of those records are regarded as but also it's like that, it's like that thing you know you've well we've talked about a bunch of times uh, in terms of people not really understanding the point of opinion stuff in that, it's like react to that list. You know, yeah. like don't just yeah. take that list as gospel. Look at that list and decide what on there haven't you heard and think you should, or what on there do you think should be on there. I mean, yeah, you know, totally. it wouldn't be a bad thing. And maybe you've maybe you've had this, but it wouldn't people be a bad thing. And they say, like, I've got forty-two of your fifty. And yeah. That sort of thing. But do you get people come up and go? Oh, you haven't got blah blah on your list, and and but they do it in such a way where you don't think, oh fuck you, dickhead, it's just a list. Have you ever had someone come up and make a case for something? Somebody once sent us an email with with you know. <laughs> this doesn't sound good. Like a, no, a list of things you know with very very you know reasonable rationales right, why they okay. should be in the yeah you know uh, I think. You, Rumours was one yeah. of them, and I think we we put it in. It actually yeah. needs an overhaul. I, yeah, I, I was looking at it the other day, and I thought the thing about it is, and also like some things there, and this is a great travesty that some of the records that are you know great benchmarks in the history of popular music are not available locally. In this yeah, country. exactly. That's but also, that, shocking. things do lose their relevance, though. Like yeah. some things become impossible to listen to, better off remembered than actually dug out and played. And some things... Yeah, I some fall things. out of love with things all the time by just digging them out to play and going, actually, you know what? It's Fuck, a I hate, place. I hate Van Morrison. And then I go, no, actually, I don't. I dig these six albums or I like these four albums. I think that thing of understanding also, and I think it's probably a very male thing, but because you like Astral Weeks doesn't mean you have to own everything that yeah. Van Morrison Well, I, I had to work through that because I was very much like that for a long time. And, and I think... 
you know, working in stores that, you know, it gives you that access to when you're going, well, um, amazing you, know, like you thing get discounted to, records. Yeah, amazing thing to, to just go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm able to cherry pick from the history of popular music. I can hear, yeah. I can just own two or three Pauline Coleman records or I can own. And it's actually great, like my collection's made a lot more sense to me for, for doing that, for going, yeah, for pruning. You know, I don't need, you know, I mean, I had a hundred Miles Davis, um, discs on how, my, many on an iPod. Have, how many of them would you have listened Six. to? <laughs> you know, yeah. No, I mean, I played them all, but in terms of actually listening to them... If I want to maybe, listen to Miles Davis... Maybe a dozen, but really, yeah. five or six are the, are the key ones that I go yeah. to. Yeah, the ones that I would always go back to. It would to. be worth having a dozen or maybe even yes. a bit more, sure, you know, like at your fingertips, like iPod-wise, but yeah, you're not, you don't need a hundred. He's somebody that I think you could pretty much accept that you know, his work is of a of a standard that yeah. you know like you're saying that the things that we're thinking cool. but 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 mostly i'm going to be satisfied by listening to in a silent way sketches kind of playing kind of just brew maybe you know not kind of blue. you kind of have to have them kind of blue is a bit like something like ziggy stardust for me yeah. that you sort of think about it you think oh god i don't know if i could face it so kind of played out and but you have to have then it. if you, you play it and you go it, shit that's good yeah it's remarkably good yeah um, and also, you know, he's a guy with, and you know, um, there are other examples, Bowie, Zappa, which you're not going to care about, but like, there are people where you go with Miles Davis, those, some of those records are important because of the players they introduced you to, too. Yeah. You know, like, y y you know, for me, I kept around so many Miles Davis albums because, you know, I got hooked on Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter and I got Tony Williams all because of all because of hearing them in that context. So yep. you go off and you play a Wayne Shorter record, which is, and there's, you know, there's a small handful of truly amazing Wayne Shorter records, but you, I would always follow them up with going back and listening to Wild Smiles. And that's one of the ways that you find out about other music by, yep. you know, like record labels, producers, you yep. know, musicians. That are record store people. Yeah. Friends. So uh, the, other, the other point you brought up a while ago that I said we were going to come back to was, you were saying about, say, ordering the EME or Melody Maker or whatever and getting it months later, and uh, in some cases you'd hear the record first and you'd read about it, other cases it'd be the other way around. Um, what, um, what do I want to ask you here? I want to ask you about the sort of, maybe the role of the music press at that time, but also what... Um, uh, I mean, you're a, you're a music reviewer, you review for national radio now, mm -hmm. but you do it in a style like this, where you are, you're not writing, you're talking, mm -hmm. and um, you probably talk in a way that, you know, I've heard you probably talk in a way that's similar to some of the stuff you've just been saying now. Yeah. You talk very passionately and authoritatively about music you care about and music you're interested in. Um, but writing-wise, was that ever something that you wanted to pick up on? And, and to be a music writer. Not to be a music writer. I mean, it's a fucking stupid thing to do. But um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, what, you, what you, impacted music? What impact did that have on you? But and also, part two is, um, I mean, you have done some music writing. You've written a, a, a couple of um, pretty decent um, guest posts for my blog. You um, wrote sort of fan letters about. Um, the Triffids, Blue, Blue Nile and the Triffids, they yeah. were really good. Yeah. I, I sort of feel like w what I have to contribute in terms of that sort of thing and in terms of writing about it is very much to do with like my own yeah. kind of e experience with things. And I, 
I well, that's how it's always come across the things I've read that you've actually yeah, put down. I think really good music writing should make you want to go back to the source. It should make you want to listen to music, yeah. and it should, um, it, sh- it, it, you know, that that thing that's sort of variously been attributed to Costello and mm, mm. maybe Zappa, you know, writing about yeah. music, like dancing about our architecture. I just sort of think, but but that's fine, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I I I think, you know, in some ways, and I, and I want to, I sort of feel like I want to translate that right across whatever so so in terms of even writing about rugby mm. say I, I, I want to kind of share the 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 joy that comes and and the kind of the desolation that's the for, like something that I, I, I so I write a weekly rugby blog for Phantom Bill stickers and mm. you know and I had to write something after the weekend that Jerry Collins died mm. and you know and it was weirdly like a little bit like you know, how do you feel about, you know, and, and, and the thing that sort of put, put me to mind of was when, like, Kurt Cobain died. Mm. Or, and, and so somebody that you didn't know, uh, you know, y- y- you feel their loss, like, more than you maybe did when, like, people that you did know yeah, yeah. died. And, and so why is that a big deal? And I guess it's because you have a lot invested in people mm. and, and they have been sort of like touchstones of you know like a- extreme almost hyperbolic emotion mm. you know uh, and and so so it's this it's this weirdly and I suppose it it is one way that we are put in touch with our own mm. kind, kind of mortality is 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 you know we oh, stick around long enough and do a bit more writing and that'll just be gold to you when someone pops off in the weekend you're like <laughs> fucking great that's Monday so. <laughs> You know, <laughs> actually, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm joking because I've, I've really started to kind of, um, you know, it, it pull back on writing eulogy things at like, some because point, so many people do them now. At so some I want point, to, all the Beatles are going to be dead. Yeah, and that's weird. It's Even though really like, weird. none of the ones alive are making music that needs to happen now. You know, Ringo's rubbish, and Paul, um, you know, it, his last record was quite good actually. Um, one of the best ones in ages, but you know his voice is gone. See, I sort of he doesn't think, need to be doing that. I sort of think McCartney, like I, I he's not going to make another really must-have kick-ass killer. No, record. he's not. There's no but way that's going to happen. Uh, we were playing that record in the shop the other day, and I was sort of thinking, like l- lyrically, you know, and and I don't think his voice is, is is that far gone. But the thing that I thought like really lets it down is like. Musically, for somebody who used to make music that was, mm. you know, he had an amazing and original melodic gift, mm. I sort of feel like that's sort of deserted him. Yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like it's, it's it's very by rote. Yeah, yeah, totally. There are no surprises in yeah. the, the arrangements or the, or the, you know, he does a sort of Jordy McCartney. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, the, it's like the clunky bits on Band on the Run most of his records now. Band on the Run's a record I love, I spend a lot of time with. But it's got some clunky bits. I it. also really do wonder if like songwriters have a certain number of songs in them. Mm-hmm. And when they've written those songs. Yes, yeah. well, uh, you know, Elton John's a great example of, of this, I think, is that, you know, the last 30 years, he hasn't needed to... Nothing he's done has been good. 
when I was really when Give I was down, maybe down south a couple of weeks ago, there was a cassette tape that we, we were playing, um, and it was a compilation Elton John love songs, and I was listening yeah, to it. Awful. And I was, but I was still thinking. I mean, I, I just think Elton John's written five or six absolutely fantastic songs, and just hundreds and hundreds of songs well, that are awful, mawkish, sentimental. But I might even be I might even be kinder than that and say you know he's a bit like Van Morrison. He's someone who's probably <clears throat> maybe this is stretching it, but five or six extraordinary albums, like which is not to say that every song on that album is great, but there's five or six Elton John's abs- albums absolutely worth owning, I reckon. But man, this is fucking shit. Isn't it funny how um, over time albums that that weren't credit we were talking about on the beach before mm. but 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 I, I I can't imagine that like Mad Man Across the Water was enormously widely well appreciated at the time. But mm. but like now that is that's the record that we never had any copies of in the shop. Wow really? Yeah. And, you know, uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road would still be the big big yeah, 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 populist. Yeah. Um, but you know, McCartney, you know, Ram and the first McCartney record and, and you know even McCartney too like they they used to be and it's funny like watching that thing of you know we would have used to have had piles and piles of you know all the Pink Floyd records all the Led Zeppelin records Cure records all those sort of things and over time they just you know Dire Straits used to be the kiss of death mm. and now people listen to those records and they go actually they're pretty First two Dire Straits records are great. First four yeah. in a pinch, that's probably pushing Isn't it. Isn't it funny the how three. things that were yeah, totally. unfashionable yeah. can can come back into vogue? Like, it doesn't take much. No, no, you're right. And then, you know, uh, someone like um, Springsteen is running the risk of, you know, like he's just releasing clunker after clunker again now. I mean, I know he's got his diehard fans that'll always support him, and he he lives on the myth of doing the four-hour show. Sort of impacts on how you feel. But it impacts on that's what I mean. It impacts on how you feel about the older ones. See, the only Springsteen records that I would probably listen to and enjoy now, I, you know, I don't even know that I would enjoy Nebraska that much if I listen to it now. But but um, you know, it's one of those ones yeah, you own. Tunnel of Love, I always yeah enjoy. Yeah, Tunnel of Love's a good record. I, I actually thought Magic was pretty good. I think it's the last, you know, and that's a, that's going very forward. You know, that's only a few years ago. But that, that was to me that was better than the rise. I think it's really hard for people to make consistently good music over a long, long period of time yeah. because I think this, you know, the circumstances in your life just change so much, and, and you know, even if you do have. I think maybe being successful in music is 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 a bit like being successful as as a sports person. Like if you if you are successful when you are young, there is the potential for you to remain in a state of suspended adolescence yeah, for, for the rest of your life. But who are the the seventies is the decade where there are you know a handful, maybe even a double handful of people making you know half a dozen extraordinary albums that to me this uh, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately this, you know Bowie pretty great run across the 70s right right through the 70s right through the 70s pretty much so what year is um is uh 
scary monsters? 81 or 80? 80. That's it? Yeah. So right up to that. See, I always say it's and Man Who Sold the World to Scary Monsters is pretty much perfect. Let's you know, that's pretty it's, good too. Well, I, I think so too. But, you know, um, Joni Mitchell, amazing 70s. Stevie Wonder, tailed off towards the end, but amazing 70s. Neil Young. Neil Young. Randy Neil, Newman. Neil Jackson. Young was impeccable throughout the series. Randy Newman, Jackson Brown. Um, Tim McCartney. Tim Rykuda. McCartney was... Um, patchy. Patchy, but it was an interesting, you know, an interesting time for him. But none of the Beatles, you know. McCartney's solo output, in, with the wisdom of hindsight, is stronger than Lennon's. Yeah, of course it is. But he had that bonus of, you know, being alive for a bit longer. But then again, even, even if you take... Uh, you know, up yeah. until McCartney too and Double Fantasy. Only two good Lennon solo records, eh? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to know where food comes into this equation. I mean, oh. obviously it, it sustains you and, and, and uh, keeps you alive, but I mean why fascination is, with food, food interest um, in food. Uh, well, I think um, uh, getting to write the blog was actually sort of your... Thanks to you, slash yeah, your, sorry about your, that. your fault. Yeah, it was. Um, it was I a, know that, but I mean... It was a terrific... Uh, well, I before, think... Let's go back to before that, because that didn't just... That, 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 that had a gestation no, period. No, um, You were having a big old rant about Burton. Yeah. You wanted to take him down. You wanted to... I feel like... And, replace and, him. You wanted to see him replaced. Yeah, and now he's doing quite a good job. <laughs> he's doing that himself. That was pretty... I caught up on that one. Yeah, that was, that was extraordinary. Amazing. But, and, and I, I, I don't, now I don't care, I, I, yeah. I, it doesn't seem to be such a desirable... But what did I say to you at the time? I said... Um, Very difficult to shift the old guard. Don't bother um, trying to um, buy into print, go online. Yeah. You know, like now, no one, you know, what's the point in, yeah, don't, sh don't, don't, don't replace the old guard yeah. in print, just do something, because um, then you get your own say and your own way of doing yeah. it. Yeah. I think I, I think it's been really a case of you know in, in all whatever sort of discipline it is like people actually getting trying to come to terms with and understanding what the you know I mean I never really liked the term blog all that oh, much it's horrible I think it's sort of it's I mean it's just writing isn't try it? being it painted as a as a blogger which is all I get now it's a way like of, it's an insult you know yeah. it's still something you got to turn up and do. But yeah. it's a, it's an insult. It's 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 a way of like like someone calling me a music writer or reviewer or critic gives too much weight to what I do. But if they say blogger, makes you sound like a hobbyist. Yeah, the the, the cliche of the dude in the basement that's just fucking around. Well, I mean, I am a hobbyist. I don't mind admitting that. It's, I've got no issue with that. I but, think, but it's the the idea of harnessing it as a derogatory term. Yeah, I, I I mean, I really really do have that have that a really strong feeling that like all writing. You know, it needs to be entertaining, and it can't. You know, mm. like mm. I, I reckon I can read good writing that's about just about anything. Yeah, and, great. And and that that thing that I have of like, I think, the people who know most about a subject are not necessarily the best writers, mm. and the people who are the best writers don't necessarily want to write about a subject like say mm. rugby or or and you know and a lot of food writing's just really really lousy, and there's mm -hmm. such a. You know, and it's probably worse now than it ever has been before. There's such an appetite, pardon the pun, for, you know, it, it is an insatiable machine that just yeah. wants more and more and more and more and more. So that's that's why, and you get it with music reviews, you get mm -hmm. people who are not very good music reviewers mm. who who um, get a lot of opportunities just because they can just tune it out. And it's, 
it's not that good, but it's not that bad, mm. you know. Mm. And to the to, to most people, it will be perfectly fine. But I think you know, you and I both sort of reared on like the sort of music writers who, you, you know, I the best sort of writing about anything I reckon really kind of makes you think about everything else, you know. Yeah, and the and the experience at the core of it, like like you know do I need to go and hear this record to hear how bad it is or do I need to go and hear this record to hear how good it is or should I avoid this record because that's what it put this person through those are the sorts of things I think about when I read I mean I still read music reviews you know um, that's what got me into doing it and I still read music reviews and I find it doesn't happen so much now, but there'll be. Do you be... take very much from them? I, I not much music, now. I would read music reviews now, and I just not much. I just oh. think I just don't don't really care. If there's a record that I get that I am not going to review, and this happens a lot with like older albums that I you know might just suddenly decide I want you know I've, I've I, either I've read something about it or someone's recommended it to me. I'll then go and find out more. I'll read more about that. If I'm writing about it myself, um, sometimes I'll read some reviews before I write my thing, and I'll certainly read some things after. You have to be careful there. You probably have to be careful admitting it, because people probably want to say that you plagiarise things or something, but it's... I think this, and it, it sort of seems like there's so much pressure now to be first out of the blocks to, yeah, to this be, is the thing. venture well, that, an opinion. That's the whole on. problem with online stuff, is it's not about being best, it's about being first, to the point where people and we're talking like um, large you know uh, newspaper owned websites and such will actually say we can fix it afterwards we'll just put it up first and see if we get the clicks and then we'll fix it when a reader a disgruntled reader points out we've spelt something wrong in the headline fuck it doesn't matter then we'll fix it and I, I find that stuff I mean I, you know I'm guilty of that it, it happens by mistake I publish things on my site that have got typos in them and and then I go back and fix them, and usually, usually I think I find them myself, but I've had them pointed out to me, and there's probably some on there that I never get round to. But that's a little bit, you know, I try not to have a fucking typo in the headline. You know, that's really bad. or just anything that's just or like just glaringly wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and just and and silly half for like when I do reviews where I only write a few lines and I say something is shit, and I actually probably use that word. You know, I, I always crack up when people tell me that that's lazy or that it's not really a review. It's like, that's the point. I'm doing that because I genuinely cannot be fucked with this album. But I feel like it might be mildly entertaining for some people to read that someone's decided they can't be fucked with a record, you know? Like, and I don't... I always laugh that, that anyone else, it's always people who don't do it themselves, have the opinion on what constitutes a review this isn't a review, you haven't reviewed the record, and it's like, well, I wrote it, so I might know that, like, I might be purposely not reviewing the record. I, I also think, you know, in terms That's of... murky territory to talk oh, about, yeah. I suppose, but, oh, yeah. you know, you I know think what in I mean. terms of online stuff as well, there's so much a case of, you know, traction to be gained on, on, on things, and, and there's so much pressure on everything else, and a, like a really, really great example of it was, I don't know how much you read about the, the Kozilek thing with the, with a woman called Laura Snape. Oh, a little bit, me. yeah, yeah. But but I, I just sort of thought, this is a, 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 a dumb thing that he said mm. that is entirely in keeping with 
other dumb things that he's said, which has been mm. recontextualised in, in a way that just becomes something that is self-perpetuating, that gets mm. her another 10,000 Twitter followers. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel uh, very strange about that and those sorts of stories because I can't help but share some of them myself because I'm sort of genuinely baffled by it but then and I'm we like, have a fascination with things exactly that, but I'm playing into that by sharing it and um, often I'm sharing it because I'm intrigued by it or, or I don't condone it at all but me sharing it and not saying something about it people assume I'm supporting it and it's tricky to to watch people have all these opinions on things they don't need to have opinions on. The Chrissy Hine thing's been very interesting. I've just started to read her book and I felt... You does know, does what she says in that... I've only just started that. to read the book. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a good book. It's, it's, it's well written so far and she's gone right back to really nice observational childhood memories like it's very clear she can I mean I think most people would know this from her songs she's exactly a good, writer. a good writer it's like reading the Dylan memoir and what I think the Elvis Costello memoir will be like and only a small handful of Dean Wareham's one and a, a small handful of other memoirs where you go this person could write a great fucking song so it isn't a huge surprise that they're going to put this together but the I feel very weird being a man talking about you know her story about rape uh, anyway I, I, I sort of worry that men have too much of an opinion on what is and isn't the right way to approach this but and what is and isn't victim blaming but she, she certainly copped um, an earful for something that were her words on a situation that happened, that, to, her. That happened to her and so I get why in the context of how the world is today what she was quoted on saying might not have seemed like a thoroughly responsible attitude as a universal expression for how things are, but it, she's it, saying that she's that's saying how she that that's how that she felt, and so I will be interested to see if there's further context in the book. I'd, I'd be really interested yeah. to find out yeah. what, what the context is. Yeah, because I think there are and yet so I don't think she's things. been I don't think she's been quoted or part quoted or misquoted or whatever around that. To but sell it is books, still context. To, no, but to, I don't think it's being done as a clever. It's not like this Keith no. Richards shit where he's going, oh, fucking, you know, I hated the Grateful Dead. I hated, you know, this. I hated that. I want my kids to snort my ashes when I die, which is all just so that people will buy a solo record, which is going to be, let's face it, pretty shit. It's going to have one or two half pie decent songs that, that are going to sound about as good as the songs that he sings on Stones albums. And then it's going to have. <laughs> if you're lucky and then it's going to have eight that aren't as good I found that quite sad seeing the Rolling Stones and sort of thinking thinking that you know you're going to see Keith Richards and he's going to be the living embodiment of rock and roll and he was just this silly old silly, old, silly old drunk who couldn't yeah. play the guitar very well and Jagger who I just have always thought was a bit of a tit was on the stage the most extraordinary performer I've seen you know yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and you sort of realise you go God, you know, I think everyone likes to reduce everything, whether it's music or writing or any kind of creativity. They just want to believe in like the, cool the, 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 the magic and the fairy dust mm. and the and the most like the intangible. Yeah. When when a, a a lot of sometimes things are good because people had the skills to do them mm. and they worked really hard and did them and I think maybe that's one of the things that I kind of like about rugby is is that that it's 
you, you, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a very tangible, you know, well thing as opposed to music that I just sort of feel like there's there's still mm. all these intangibles and it's this very esoteric kind mm, of. Mm. Well, rugby's a very to me. It's a very like, and I'm not saying I'm not even pausing to try and say anything profound here, but it's a it's a very brutally honest game. You know, yeah. like you there are there are logical outcomes, and you can see the thing. Here's the thing that frustrates me the most about the the overall New Zealand attitude to rugby. Outside of those things we talked about way earlier, like the the whole branding type. You've got to be, you know, I wrote a thing about this recently, that you've got to be there for every fucking game dressed up in your black kit, which is all just oh, yeah. bullshit. I hate, I think a lot of people uh, recognise that and hate that. But and, I, and I thought, like, naming the team. Yeah, um, bullshit. I, I just, I think, even, even for me, like, I'm not going to try and justify that. I think that's, that's shockingly... Uh, yeah. You know, we will be a laughing. That will be one of the things Fuck that yeah. people make fun that, of us over if we don't win this. World yeah, Cup. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, it's it's pompous. Yeah, it is. it is. It is. Um, and you know, I know I know of a. There's probably loads, but um, I know of a handful of you know fucking tongue up his ass John Key supporters who are pretty unimpressed with that too. And, you wow. know, um, and, but what I was going to say is. Um, and, and I think somewhere in here is a compliment for your rugby writing. Um, <laughs> but even a lot of the writing that I have read about rugby, which is nowhere near as much as you would have read, um, I hate the fact that when, when we do lose, um, we can't celebrate the fact that it was a good game. Not many people can do that. Yeah. And that really fucks me off. Because look, look, you know, I, I, I don't have the um, physique for it, but I played a lot of sport in my time, like earlier and no one would guess that now looking at me um but and i played sport at a really high level too uh and i loved sport and i followed a lot of sport and i played more than one and um i you know fuck i was really competitive and i hated losing mm. but i could actually walk away from a game i played and go we were beaten and we deserve to be beaten and i can certainly watch my favorite team across a range of sports you know there was a time when i was uh, 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 years ago when I was followed the NBA quite obsessively and I've fallen away from that and I still enjoy watching a basketball game but but and I still you know follow it and understand it but there was a time years ago that I, I, I had a favorite team and everything and I could you know it was fine if they were fair and squarely beaten it was fine but I feel like that's one of the ugliest things about all black supporters as a giant cluster, and New Zealand, and, and it's probably the fair weather fans. You know, it's probably th things that come out like go with the AV. Yeah, yeah. World World Cup time when everyone's dressing their kids in black and and making toasties and watching the game when they perhaps wouldn't necessarily always do that. Maybe it's that crowd that brings it out. But I, 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 I fucking think, hate that. I think this aspect of that that I I love. I th I love the fact that you know it is something that people sort of feel you know that they have. Ownership, hard ownership. And yeah, that they have a stake in. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that they have, you know, I think has been a distinct change in the All Black team culture since since Graham Henry took over. I think he was really conscious, you know, and that sort of better, better people make better All Blacks. Mm. I, I sort of think, you know, better people make better everything, mm -hmm. you know? Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and, and I... I People's ability to uh, do 
do kind kind things and do good things mm. is is extraordinary. Um, uh, like one of the the big things, the trip that I just had to to the UK and to um, and and go to Berlin and going to like the Holocaust Museum mm. and you know and just and and, and there's, there's a writer I don't know if you know him, a, 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 an Italian Jew called Primo Levi yeah 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 who you know who I I, survival, I, I heard survival about, in Auschwitz yeah, yeah. um uh, uh I heard about him Mark Eitzel from American mm-hmm. Music Club you know name checked him and I and I read some of his writing and I just I just to not kind of blame but to to sort of celebrate kind of the, the the good that people can do and you know how how one sort of small act of kindness can mm. can completely change the course of you know sometimes it's completely changed the course of history and you know mm. and, and and to to act against our our you know people's ability to be to be to be cruel and selfish and to instead kind of try and be generous and 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 you know, so so you know, I hate I hate unsportsmanlike mm. behaviour. I hate. Well, that's what I think we you know, we verge on. Oh, totally. And, and not just verge on, but we well, exemplify. We um, I, there's a terrific piece of writing on the raw. Uh, a New Zealand writer who, mm. who who writes in Australia called Spiro Zavos. Mm-hmm, good about, writer. Uh, he's a terrific writer and really really good. And I think the best rugby writing is the best music writing is the best writing food yeah, yeah. It's, it's just writing it doesn't yeah. really matter what it is but non-fiction journalism type writing yeah and I, I think it's yeah. people who are able to bring something of themselves yeah. into, into and a wider context yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I think it's you know and again it's it's the thing that's so sort of great about that, that Benji record is that it, it 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 expresses the universal with the very via the very person mm-hmm. and I think that's an incredibly powerful you know y- y- calling it a writing tool is maybe maybe makes it sound, sound a bit more a clinical bit, yeah, than, yeah, than it is than what it is because I, I think well, that what that is, is and that what that is is I mean that's a record for Mark Kozilek fans and I know there are some that didn't like that record or, or that are at least saying that they absolutely hated it but it is a record f- you know it rewards a lot of Mark Kozilek fans and then there'd be a lot of people that would have checked that out based probably on some of the writing about it yeah. and gone, never really knew this guy or never really liked him before or never really cared either way, but this record just fucking stuns me because of the subject matter, because of the, the depth of these songs. And it's the same, See, what, you're, what you're saying is the same with um, some, you know, writers. Like, yeah. I, I firmly believe that. I mean, I, I don't read much about rugby, but I read your footy column, you know, partly because I know you, but also because you write it well. And and the things you write about interest me and also keep me vaguely enough up to speed so that when I'm standing around at kids' birthday parties and dudes, all they want to do is talk to me yeah. about fucking rugby, I can kind of See, keep the conversation going. It's a little bit like what we were talking about, that um, that Neil Young com- compilation, you know, something mm. that suits either... The, yeah, the casual the, or the, the, casual or the or fanatic. Somebody, you know, cause well, I think, and I told you, I think I said this in the review I wrote about your book, I think your book does that, because it's a, it's a slim volume, you know, yeah. it's not it's not trying to be the textbook no. of rugby, it's a it's a one-day read for for most people, Yeah. you know, one or two days, like, and, and flick through it and, and, and quite quickly if they want to, and it's 
it's a it's in that sense it is comparable to the blogging ideal of being like oh, very much part so. of a conversation. And I think that's I think that all that any writer maybe seeks to do is add his his or her voice to mm. to the the conversation that goes on mm. you know everywhere and and the fundamental conversation is I guess on a massively macro level about kind of the human condition like yeah what, what are we fucking doing what, what, <laughs> why are we here what makes us different yeah what are we trying to get out of this you know, what, what separates us why should I bother with what's my passion yeah why is it my passion yeah. and I think when when you sort of feel like people have you, one of the things that people get from from Sport, sport, you know, na- national sporting success, or, or I guess if you know they're a big, big supporter of a club side or whatever, you know, like you see it in Britain with like football teams, mm. like people who've just spent their whole lives supporting a team, and and you know if if just once it sort of comes off and they win, you know, it'd be one thing if you supported Arsenal or Mm-mm. you know one of the Manchester United, one of the glamour clubs, but if you supported, you know. Millwall or something, and just just that one time that they, you know, so they come through for you. I I I think that it's something that people derive a mm. a collective. It's something that people can feel c- connected to other people. But, but the, that happens at gigs too. The best ones. Yeah, it really does. Not, not always, and maybe not often enough. But you and you would have been to some. I've been to plenty where. Even, I've even been to gigs by bands I no longer give a fuck about and barely ever did. The one I think about is that band Yaysayer, who, you know, their, their albums, I don't even know how many they've done now, maybe they've done three, maybe they've done four, but are progressively getting worse. But the first album had something about it, but seeing them at that time was incredibly special. Just up, just up at the bathhouse in the small spot and they more and more people climbed onto the stage you know and it was sort of like the flaming lips at the big day out those yep. sorts of things uh, some of those bowl of brooklyn's gigs like rem where people jump into the duck pond and yeah uh, there was this really amazing feel about that that people were looking around and grinning at one another when they didn't know each other the music people like people. to feel connected to yeah. it and whole and i think like that that music, and especially live music, the live music experience, and 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 sports are, are they are sort of methods of transcendence. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say people are getting a similar thing out of them in a completely different way, or whatever. Like a similar. See, like the other one I think of is that first Leonard Cohen show from about two thousand and nine. Um, you know, and that's quite you know, quite a sort of sedate sit down type of thing and I you know I know a few people walked out and were bored by it which I found very strange but on a, some level I kind of understand that too but you shouldn't be we, going to Cohen for sort of dazzling you know we, we don't the hive mind and, and yet it was dazzling musicianship actually oh, yeah. it was just very subtle the hive mind doesn't you know we, we don't all have to agree on what is good no, exactly. that's, that, that, that's a really important thing as well but looking around at that audience and being part of that audience there was just some sort of mood that you could feel that it was it really was palpable that people were going See, this is an extraordinary experience and the and the, the, the backstory helped obviously yeah people, people thought they were the flip side to that was you know just how much some people hated that Neil Young show yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and and I, I sort of thought and in this day and age you've got no reason to not go to those no, things prepared. I don't know you've sort of written, written something that you know you, you, 
it is easy enough to find out yeah, I have what, no fucking, what is likely to be served. I have no fucking tolerance for that. It's like, exactly, it's, it's a good analogy. It's like going to a, you know, a, a Japanese restaurant and complaining that sushi was on the you couldn't menu. Get steak or the, exactly, or that you couldn't get a decent burger, you know, like, you had every opportunity to, you know, unless someone blindfolds you and walks you in and then goes, this is who you are, what do you want? Oh, I don't want what's here. That's fucking ridiculous. I yeah. think in some ways now we're we're almost you know clobbered by and bewildered by choice. Mm. I think that's and I I've sometimes sort of think like in, in covering sort of like quite disparate sort of things like having an interest in you know, like talk about like rugby and food and music. I, I I mean I feel incredibly sort of fortunate that I have been able to you know. Have, give voice to the things that I'm enthusiastic about it in in a way that sort of remotely kind of makes sense Mm -hmm. and it has having that sort of odd combination of things has um, made for some intriguing scenarios yeah yeah, it's nice out like like, uh, you know the night that I missed Big Rango playing because I was well this is what I was just going to ask you I was going to say what do you do how do I prioritise how how do you prioritise if someone gives you tickets uh, let's let's, and you know uh, no disrespect to to Beck and and Tony Rowans but if someone gives you tickets to the best rugby match you think you could ever see and or or, or indeed any rugby match at all And I, I, for the most part, would. I don't want to say. I don't want to say something so loaded as a Smiths reunion because it, a, it's not going to happen in Barefoot. Then it's probably going to be underwhelming on 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 at least one pretty obvious level. I'd go. You'd want to see it. Would you choose that? Oh, would I choose that over watching, the, too, no, watching the Rugby World Cup final? Yeah. But that, these are the kind of stakes that's, that you're going to have that's to the offer thing. me. So I'm thinking, like, I don't know, and I can't say Smiths reunion over watching the, watching the World Cup final. Okay. Oh. This is a this is a conversation for tomorrow's lunch hour, isn't it? Um, for you at work. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, like, what would you do? Like, not Smiths reunion, something that's you know best Re- best best band that is around that you dig that you've never seen, and I don't know what that is. You know, given your taste. Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay, somebody that I've never seen that I'd that you want love to, to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so an informed prince, because God, fuck, if he's playing that new album, that's an easy decision, you know. It has to be the hits show. It has to be the hits show. Um, but, and what, what's it up against? I don't know, Rugby World Cup final. Uh, yeah, or something like that. Oh, God. Or, or, or uh, uh, what about a, um, what about a, uh, Bob a piece, um, Bledisloe final? You know, like a match you know match trophy just decider. decider if I could have well you know, something I, like I that. had to sort of weigh these things up like when, when we were away because I watched the All Blacks lose in Sydney in a pub in um, Dublin uh, in, in Dublin mm. with Jerry Paul mm. so it's probably his fault that they lost yeah 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 um, at least he would have drowned out the commentary Oh, no, he was terrific. He was in terrific form. And then in Berlin... That's what I mean. I had to find a... Um, an, you know, because Irish pubs are the only place in the world over that, mm. that show mm. rugby games. So I ended up in this Irish pub in in Mitte in Berlin at 9.30 in the morning with just me and Barry, who was Irish, and Birgit, who was German, with the bar staff. Mm. And they were, you know, sort of hovering <laughs> up and mopping the floor and watching. <laughs> and, and the All Blacks, you know, really stuck it to them, as they were always going to do. If I had to choose between watching that, say, and... 
Oh, I can't. It's just too, <laughs> I, you know, I, I got invited to a, like a really, really nice dinner at somebody's house cook, cooked by a chef this year, and it was the night of the Super Rugby semi-final. Mm. So um, what, what I would try and do is <laughs> manoeuvre a situation where I, I actually did it, where we, we, we came to, we, we were to the oh, to the house on the proviso that I could watch Gabby. Yeah, which is in a room by yourself. No, or, no, no. Well, you know, or like, just well, the, in the, the background. The guys or, at the dinner. No, I was going like, to. No, oh, I, so it was the I, feature. I, I am. Good. Well, no, yeah, yeah. it wasn't going to be. Yeah, but you know, I need this to be. I, I, I just, I, I could say I'll come along to dinner and you know record the game, watch it later. But I'm going to be really, really rude. I'm just going to be bad company yeah. because I'm thinking. I would rather you know, do this. Than I, I would. I would probably rather. Watch. I need to watch the rugby. But so if I can have dinner and watch the rugby, then that's terrific. So what you're saying is you want Prince to go on at sort of ten thirty. I want to try and start. Well, I did try and get you know yeah, the, yeah. the heavily pregnant big runger to um, go on a bit later so yeah. that I could. No, she um, wasn't doing that. She wasn't biting. Eh? It was a nice. It was a nice show. It I was a really nice I was show. Really it was seen it. In fact, the second half of it was. Uh, a lot more exciting than I, you know, perhaps was, well, not ex- not saying it's not, I didn't think it was going to be exciting, but it was a lot more interesting, like, um, less predictable. So yeah. they really mixed things up, lots of covers and lots of the two of them on stage, like pretty much them on stage the whole time together, which yeah. I didn't really, wasn't quite ready for that. I sort of thought it was going to be a few songs each and one or two covers at the end. It was actually nicely... Nicely sort of to get, it. yeah, just a bit different. But I think she will tour against. I've, I've been playing that Birds record. Like, That's an amazing really record. Really great record, yeah. eh? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I mean, you know, yeah, really and, good, really good songs. Uh, did, did you? And, I think we and, might have. We and, might have. At the risk of stating the obvious, great band. And RG's just yeah, yeah, great, well, great. Actually, out of this world. Yeah, like, like it is phenomenal. Some yeah. of what he does on that. Well, actually, great band and great production and all of that. But yeah. I think we might have talked about this. But her playing solo before Neil Finn last year, it was a lovely set. But the highlight of it was the I think three songs she did of Birds, or you know, with him, two, with him playing piano too. I think she did one of them solo and a couple with him on piano. But but I mean, those songs to me, I mean, obviously people love the ones they know, and, and I think she still does a pretty spine-tingling version of Drive, like, it, you know, it, it works well when she does it, but those songs of Birds meant more to me to hear oh, yeah. than any of the other, which is not knocking the other songs, it yeah. was a really perfectly chosen set. I, I, you know, sometimes it's really, really nice when you hear a record that that kind of seamlessly integrates its its fairly obvious influences, you mm-hmm. know, so, so that record, you know, I, I guess the... the Start of the French sort of yeah, this sort of yeah. kind of thing yeah. and and you know sort of sixties pop yeah yes again the French version of that but also but but it's you know it's no and, and it sort of has that you know grand kind of almost a Scott Walker with the strings yeah a little bit back rack yeah definitely yeah arrangements back rack because um, it was on the back of t- she had done that the Christchurch Symphony. Yeah. Thing where you know she'd done a Baccarat cover and she'd done, yeah. Um, I think you know. I th- I think s- sometimes people people who follow an interesting 
career path, you know, in terms of whatever, in terms of musical career or in terms of whatever they do, you know, it's it's not completely linear. Like it's it's and not everything is like mapped out sort of things. So things that you stumble across, like mm. there's heaps of things that I've sort of ended up doing, like the 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 boom shake thing that I mm. did was mm. well, that was never something that I would have aspired to, to do. Yeah, yeah. But, but but those were fun gigs. Oh yeah, you could, well, and you could see that everyone was digging them. Yeah, and I got to know, and I meet heaps of people through that. And when Ricky Boyd sort of first came to me about that, he said, oh, I'm going to put together this 50s, 60s rock and roll band. And I thought he was a bit simple. Yeah. I thought, um, <laughs> I was like, sure you are, buddy, sure, sure. Okay, you know, do you want to be one of the six? Sure I How's your opinion on that changed? Uh, Have not survived the <laughs> I think check? I think Ricky's sort of a genius at, 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 in terms of, you know, he's incredibly... Uh, energetic. He's an amazing drummer, and he, you know, I, I, I sort of think a, a, a lot of things being good are about the, you know, just about the ability to convert energy. Mm, and I think mm. if if you can sort of channel energy, and if you can bring together energy from a lot of people, mm. that's a lot of energy, you know. Mm, mm. And and I um. You know, so but through through that band, you know, m- 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 met all those people. Met you know, I met. I remember the first time I met Conan, and mm. you know, and, and, you know, it's a bit like you know, pe- people in bands, people in record stores. You know, people who become friends. You know, th- throughout yeah, you know, for for a long, long time, and your your lives are sort of interwoven. Mm. You know, because you had an involvement with people playing music. I think mm. it's a. But, but if everything that I've sort of done, I mean, I don't sort of regard, I, I don't think that I take anything that I do any more or less seriously than anything else. Yeah. And I sort of feel like the way that I would try and, like, write about or talk about music or food or um, or rugby, uh, they're all sort of part and parcel of the same Mm, mm. Same so what's happening for you musically at the moment, music-wise for you yourself? You've um, you did a second solo album, but that was a three, nearly four, was, four years ago. It was the last World Cup. Yeah, um, I was going to say it was four oh, years. Yes, yeah, so I'm on a on a cycle yeah, with, yeah. with the World Cup. Yeah, um, I don't sort of. I sort of feel like most of the inclination that I that I have or had to write songs is uh, is gone uh, no I have I have some things that are, that, that that still need to be said in that format I, I will or turn into songs yeah. At, yeah. at some point I think the thing that maybe gets harder as you get older and you know and that sort of thing of like feeling like you have you know the number of songs that you have to write over a, over a lifetime as a songwriter is mm. is you know it, it gets exponentially thinner you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like not that many people, you know, keep keep writing, write mm. better. I mean, we talked about McCartney, even somebody as good mm. as McCartney. You don't sort of keep, you write better, more and better songs when, when you're younger and that's your absolute yeah, hungry. Yeah. Chief, chief sort of focus. But yeah. I think, you know, most of the writing, the other writing that I do probably sort of satisfies my my yeah, desire this is to, it. You to, find, to write. Yeah, you find new ways um, to channel... I guess cre- a creative energy into something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I play uh, in a band that plays at people who plays covers at people's weddings with people that I just think are you know probably 
you know, some of my favorite musicians in the, mm. in the country, which is uh, hugely enjoyable. And I like that idea of music that exists for a, for a tangible purpose that yeah. is other than just self-expression. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, some music that exists for celebration, you know, so yeah. for, you know, or commemoration of something, yeah. for weddings or funerals or some sort of celebration sort of thing. And I think it's really important that people you know, you remember those Yeah, there's a context occasions. around things. Like people people have said this to me a lot that they you know, they they people always say, uh like they apologise for their musical choices, like I'm supposed to you know, in a particular situation, oh we got married and oh you'll hate this, we had this as our song and it's like, Oh, why would I give a f-? you know, that's wonderful. Yeah. Like when I say why would I give a fuck like why would I give a, give a fuck whether it was cool or not like yeah. did, is it, did it mean something to you and yeah. and was it great and was it everything that you wanted it doesn't matter whether it's Scott Walker or Katy Perry does it it's like you know it's probably being pretty strange if it's Scott Walker but but if it's what you want and it works for you then that's awesome. something that people sort of assume you they, know yeah, that, they, they, that, they, that old um, thing of like the the you know the record store guys yeah. kind of standing in judgment, passing yeah. judgment over whether we're, we're our choices are. And most of the not, time you're just not right. Sometimes well, you are, but, but most the of the time people that you're I just enjoy not. most in this in the shop are the people who are who are open to things and who who just love it. Who just like get get joy from it. And the people who who I I I struggle with the most are the people who I who I think manage to turn something that is their leisure time not mine into a chore you know mm, mm, like oh you know I so how long have you been working there now since i moved here in 2001 yeah so um and yeah, long time. this this is a store that's got an incredibly loyal staff yeah well steve's really. been there for longer than me yeah and uh i i you know it it is a sort of amazing we had another in-store in the weekend um mm. glass folks played and I, you know, that, talking about that sort of energy thing, I think that brings an amazing energy to have people performing live music in a place that sells recorded music, yeah, yeah. is, um, you, you know, the energy that that gives you, and... Well, you guys have, your in-stores have all been going well over the last, I guess, we've been there for a while but like over the last couple of years it feels like it's really ramped up that yeah. people you know turn up for them they're great you know the, the performers seem to get something out of it massively yeah. they're not they're not just trying to flog stock they're not just there to no, shift units I think which used to be like I worked in uh, you know music stores in the late 90s and, and, and you'd get like touring bands coming through who, yeah, like, the who ex- had to do an in-store the exponents were in town and they had an album out so they came and played and you know they're they're, they're the fun band and all of that but it was like they didn't really they didn't really want to be there I don't think and we had you know you had Beck Rummer and Brooke Fraser and people like that and some of them did really neat performances and the best one in my time was Darcy Clay was a pretty cool thing to see because I don't, I don't think he wanted to be there either but but it was a pretty cool thing to see but yeah it was, it was most definitely about flogging and stuff yeah. signing afterwards and you know selling you your installs Aren't entirely about that. Obviously, that's something that's going to happen too. Um, Records today this year. Um, Neil Finn actually said to me, he said, oh, "I don't have a good idea. It seems to, to you know, basically close the shop for a couple of hours yeah, yeah, on the first yeah. day of the year." And I said, "Well, it's not really just about again. It's not yeah, just yeah. about sort of selling 
It's about celebrations. Well, yeah. Record Store Day. I mean, that's what Record Store Day is started for and supposed to be about, right? That's what it should celebrating be. Celebrating the community around yeah. a record store. The idea that I it's think a, a lot a of hub. people um, uh, feel betrayed by it because yeah. they feel like it's something that they have hung on to and that they yeah. have supported is that people are trying to flog it for commercial ends. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, well, and, and I mean, it, it is important that people remember that a place like Slowbo is... is a business yeah, yeah, yeah. that exists by, you know, what all businesses do is buy something and attempt to add value on it, to it in some way, whether that's by knowledge or whether it's by yeah, know, curation. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're selling it for more money than what you paid for it. And if you can't keep doing that, then you, you don't have a business. You go out of business. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate that the flip side of that is that people choose to shop at a place like Slowboat rather than buying things for probably cheaper online. Or you know, or going to a chain store that mm. that is often able to sell things for less than what we're able to buy them in for. Mm, mm. But uh, you know, I'm somebody who believes in that record store culture, and it's you know, sort of talking about sort of being a place that musicians will come to, and I and it, and it sort of is. You know, I think there. Are, there are two types of people in the world. There are the sort of people who go to places like Slowboat and Unity, mm. and the sort of people who just don't. don't. <laughs> and yeah. you, you know, and uh, uh, neither one of them is right or wrong. But Arrow I, Video is another one. I mean, yeah. I I tell people that I go to the video store because it's still called a video store rather than DVD or whatever, and 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 people laugh. What? Why do you go there? Why would, you bother, doing why would you bother doing that? You can watch. You know, everything, everything you want online, but I don't know. I go to a particular section in that shop, and that's you an, might that's, watch something that you didn't intend to. But that's enough to fucking deal with, which is the yeah. same with actually going to a section in your shop, for example. Like you know, like going to the cult movie section at Aro is far more fulfilling than racking your brain and going. What can I watch that's new, oh, yeah. or what can I look up that's old? Because you just have mind blanks. When I tried, when I tried Spotify. I just found that all I did was listen to Prince things you already had and Beatles or news. Yeah. and Smiths and things that I already owned. I didn't use it to listen to anything new. Yeah. And I, I if I'm presented with, you know, I, I, I sometimes use that analogy that, that like the internet is, is like just this gigantic buffet table and everybody's hungry mm. but nobody knows, you know, what what should I be eating? So yeah. people... Or the correct order of it. You, you know, uh, you know what what will kind of fit together. How do I make sense of all the choice that I now have? Mm. More more choices, not necessarily make a Good. more satisfying yeah yeah experience. As a there's consumer. no way to there's yeah. no way to discuss this topic without sounding old and uncool. But it's you know great we, we are so that's 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 fine. Um, what did it feel like to be a published author? Was it was how fulfilling or strange or both was that? Pretty weird, and yeah. also you know, like like I maybe sort of said at the start, like I, I, I don't think that I ever really aspired to to doing that, and I certainly didn't think that if I did, that it would be a book about rugby. So, but I mean, tell me how it properly came together for you, and <laughs> and, and and why you agreed to do it. Uh, I. You've been doing the footy column already, well, and you've yeah. done some other sports. I had a phone call from um, I, I um, James Milne had been doing some stuff about cricket for Duncan Grieve had a website called Dead Ball, mm-hmm. 
and uh, and I I decided to take it upon myself. Fucker's uh, spin-off thing's going really well. It's really good. It's good, isn't it? Um, yeah. The interview with Simon Wilson Yes. Yeah. tremendous piece yeah. of writing. I thought it was really good. I just really wanted good. to put, give that a little plug for what it's worth, because it's, it's fucking good sight. Really, it's really, really good. And it seems to be getting better by the day. Like, um, But I just, so I, I just sort of said, I, you know, I'd be really into writing some rugby things mm. for you, because he mm. didn't, he, you know, he, I think Duncan, Duncan's, Explored his basketball and and, yeah. and and he also did the other thing was I I, I was very um, taken with he he wrote about New Zealand's next top model as though it were a competitive sport yeah, rank, yeah. ranked everybody and it was hilarious yeah. and you know that that thing that kind of writing where it's sort of like poking fun at something but it's done in a sort of a, a you know, approaching something lowbrow. In a mm. in a in a smart way. Yeah, I I really like that, and I, I sort of think sometimes you know that's that's what I maybe kind of try and aim for with with stuff about rugby because yeah. I just think so much rugby running is I think buff heady, you know. My attempt and a lot of it in this country as well. Yeah, I think yeah. There's lots of it that's just really below par. My attempt at that for a little while was writing about pro wrestling in that way. <laughs> Which is uh, which, which which probably which, appealed to you and Matt Pender and Carter Nixon. And yeah, no, well, you know, there's there's a lot of um, wrestling thing, and, lovers, and I'm not I'm not backtracking here, but I'm just you would know. You still, would you would you still watch it now? No, nah, not at all. Would I mean, you watch well, old stuff? Nah, not really. No, no. I mean, maybe a clip online if someone puts something up every now and then. It's really fascinating when, no, when people really. who are sort of music obsessive, you know, have a sort of sporting fascination. Like Kozlik's got the boxing thing. Yeah. Like totally obsessed with boxing. I, like, can, I could, I could almost get. You know, I'm, I'm, um, pretty into. Um, UFC and MMA, and I'm kind of into I, boxing. I don't, I don't know what they are. Oh, they're, they're ultimate the fighting. Yeah, ultimate fighting and mixed martial arts. Right. But which I think comes like cage fighting. Yeah, yeah. Which I think comes from growing up watching pro wrestling, which but I don't really watch. But it's kind of real, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and well, you know, yes, it is in comparison to pro wrestling, certainly. Um, and boxing is also something that I've always been kind of quite into, and I and I think. Those things for me. That's one of those things. Boxing is one of those things that's you know that is absolutely like sort of survival. It's yeah. most kind of base. Yes. Those things and horror movies all kind of go together for me as things that are probably the complete opposite of what my actual personality is about, and that's my sort of you know like I am a I'm a I don't really have a violent bone in my body, and um, really don't really. I don't actually really condone violence, I guess, would be a way to... But, you know, I, 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 I watch all this stuff and... Or have done. But pro wrestling's gone for me. But I actually... Well, I still get... Sometimes I get sent the pay-per-views, the, the big events, and I watch them without the context of knowing the storylines. And that's made it kind of fun. Wow, because, really? because Well, because you pick up on them so... And I've, I've lately started thinking... It's weird. I've started thinking I should do some more writing about pro wrestling again because I keep going... It's pretty great. Would there be a market want... for that anywhere else in the world? Like oh yeah, there's there's I mean only like fan sites and stuff. There's some good. There is some good writing that's been done about wrestling. There's some good books. There's loads of shitty ones because because loads of fans aren't very good writers, but yeah. they have this voice. It's so a bit that's like, always the... that's that thing we've been saying. But 
but I'm in the middle of reading a book at the moment, the guy's name escapes me, but very good writer, and it is that situation where I'm reading it because not really because it's about pro wrestling, but because this guy's a good writer and he's got a good 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 sort of angle on it. But I've I've been thinking about like the the Trump thing at the moment where he's at and sort of reality TV in general, like they owe a giant debt to pro wrestling, both of those things. You know, pro wrestling kind of storylines and the way they played out. Kind of started that. And that's actually not a compelling legacy. Like, you know, that's... It's not a good good thing. Kind of horrific, really, but... It's exactly like, you know, the Rolling Stones being to blame. Yeah, yeah, it is exactly like that. But as as a former fan and as someone who dedicated probably too much time Mm. trying to legitimise it late in life by writing about it, and I say legitimise it for myself, um, it makes some sense of it, really, was why I did it. Because I watched wrestling for a very small amount of time. I watched it from when I was... I don't know, fucking 11 until 13. And then I didn't touch it until I was about, I don't know, 20... You just touched five on something. Five or something, there. and I, I... Nostalgia. I something think that thing of sort of like trying to make sense yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Sense of what you do, I, I think, um, you know, uh, it's, it's one thing to sort of like watch... I, I think maybe like writing, writing stuff down mm. is very much a way of like, like... And it's sort of a way of downloading f- from your... Brain. That's what the blog has been for me, yeah. like the stuff blog, which is coming out eight years, which is nuts. Um, in fact, yeah, it's pretty much eight years. But anyway, I hijacked you in the middle of talking about oh, your, yeah. your rugby, your um, dead ball, and your oh, sort of yeah. footy column. So and I was writing for writing that, and I just did test matches yeah. for, for Duncan, and then um, and then I had a I had a call from um, uh, the the uh, my patron Saint Jim Wilson. Yeah. And he said, you know, he just calls every now and then. He called this week, actually. But every now and then, okay, you know, I like what you're doing with the, you know, story. Just careful, because he's told me that he's starting to get into podcasts. Oh, so God. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the food thing and, you know, the music reviews and stuff. And he said, I, he said is, you know, I said, I'd quite like to, you know, do a bit of, bit of rugby writing. And he said, right, listen, this is, what, this is what's going to happen. You're going to write a weekly rugby thing 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 for me for the Phantom Facebook page and you know I don't recall it really being a conversation it was just like this is it's what's going to happen yeah, yeah. so and but and I like that you know discipline of this is just something that I do mm. and you just sort of as I say it just becomes the new normal yeah, right? all of a sudden you've got a day that that copy turns up that so you did do it. It. and you know and sometimes if you didn't watch that much rugby in the weekend then sometimes you just have to find another way to to uh, but if you you haven't really I guess rugby is so relentless schedule wise so and, and you're man. you're pretty much across it as best as a lot of people can be you're pretty driven to keep up with it and obviously this is part of the reason now too with the regular column but one thing I wondered is if I'd missed them but have you ever gone back and done things like you know uh, a favourite player and you just do like an old kind of like a profile on it no not really and does that interest you at all do it uh, doesn't sound like it but yeah I'm not really something that I thought about. I mean, I, I think I, that would be cool. Like, I, I thought a lot about you know when when Jerry Collins died. I I thought about it, and again, it was that weird sort of contextualizing thing mm-hmm. of like thinking about how you feel about the death of somebody that you didn't know, but who was mm-hmm. who was you know kind of a a a, a hero. 
mm. to you and it, it, you know and p- people sort of saying saying things about oh you know he was such a good guy and you know he was so kind and everything and I was you know I think people probably didn't think think that much if he you know if he dropped mm. his shoulder on them and yeah, probably, yeah. And, I, and I met him a couple of times and one one time he was he was really nice and um you know, chatty and friendly, and the other, and you know, just like anybody else. And the other time, he was having a slightly shittier day, or real surly, yeah. real dark. But yeah, you know, no, nobody comes out when somebody somebody dies and goes, "Oh, actually, it was." Brick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but that's perfectly possible. Or if they if they do, it's it's so nasty. It's just not the done thing done. Doesn't it's it? Doesn't work it's like un- it just reflects it's ungracious. On, yeah, so it just reflects badly on them. Even it's, even if. And I'm just talking hypothetically, even if they might have had some semblance of a point, because not everyone yeah. dies as a good person their whole life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so uh, I was doing the weekly rugby thing. And there was a guy called uh, Steve Townsend who mm. used to like comment on things each week, who was a friend of Jim's and was obviously like pretty knowledgeable about rugby, like always like very. T- I'm, I mean, it really does. You've got some good commenters me. on there. Oh yeah, because I read them, and then I've got to be honest. Some weeks I skim them because you know if I haven't really watched any of the games yeah. at all or whatever, it's fleeting for me. But I check in on them, and I'm always interested in the comments on them because you've actually got a following where. People are engaging with it. I love that, and that's giving Jim's, yeah. Jim's real big on that. And yeah, of course. And I mean, he's somebody who's real big on on there being a sort of dialogue about yeah. things anyway, and that's key and to, communities around. Yeah, things. that's key to his whole business model and outlook and yeah. stuff, and and how he feels about and beyond that, how he feels about people. And I mean, he's somebody that I've known for you know m- more than twenty years, yeah, yeah. 20, 25 years, and who's, yeah. who's always kind of looked out for me you know no matter what I was doing and sort of taking an interest in stuff um, I'm going to have a chat to him um, for this yeah, podcast be, at some point fascinating he just has to get back in the country but um, there is that but but um, so yeah and Steve Townsend and it turned out he'd written a book um, called The Last Word on the Rugby World Cup 20, 2011 mm. and uh which I hadn't seen, but he um, he said, I'll, I'll send it to you, I, I really want, I'm going to be living in Turkey for the first six months of, mm. of, of for six months in, in 2015, so I'm just not going to be in a place to write, write another data. one, yeah. but I, I, would you be interested in doing it? And I didn't sort of think about it too hard, I sort of thought, like, tragically, it is the sort of thing that I would just do for my own yeah, yeah, amusement. amusement anyway, and he, and he said, would you be into and I was like, yeah. So I mean, and just wrote it. I feel like I wrote it in a bit of a blur and in a bit mm. of a daze mm. over the first three months of of the year. And it's funny well, now because there are lots of things in it that you know have have kind of brought out. Yeah, yeah. Because tra- you were dealing with exactly like injuries. People, you're, you're trying to predict a squad, and then it has yeah. and things, circumstances just change, and that's and that's. And circumstances will carry you, on changing you, over time. And you prefaced that enough without sounding like a, you know, please excuse me, grain of salt, rah, 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 but you did preface that enough, but yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to go back through it now and actually see. <laughs> well, one of the things that I, that, I, that I did and I thought afterwards, like when we got the books back, I thought, oh God, I, there was the suggestion that like some of the Pacific Island players who had played for New Zealand mm. might be eligible. There was a yeah, sort of right. back, backdoor method, yeah. you know, where 
Olympic qualification that they could be available for their for their so yeah. and I suggested like how great it would be if Samoa had access to somebody like Jerry Collins mm -hmm. and I you know and, and then yeah. you know you, you, you can't you can't oh, unwrite it. It happens. And I think, you know, and, and uh, you know, I just would hope that nobody would sort of think that you'd done it. Nobody you can't, would think uh, that you'd You can't. Uh, but, but it does, look, I had a similar thing. When I wrote on song, someone um, I interviewed between me writing it and the book coming out died. Mm. And they, you know, had, a, um, had cancer. Yeah. And, you know, it, it happened, but I... Uh, I kind of went, oh, what happens here? Do we remove the name? Or, you know, but, but of course you don't. It's but but you can't help but think about it cause, face, because it's an awkwardness time. It's an awkwardness that you're not sure how to deal with and you're actually just trying to do the right thing and be respectful and actually the respectful thing is to keep it how it is. Different if you were slagging someone off. To preserve the integrity of something. That's it. So, in, in the case of with my book, it was a it was a person commenting on a song that had a you know a fairly integral um, position within that song and some interesting comments around it. So yeah, why would they need to be struck just because yeah. you know? But you do think it. I right. mean, little things like that yeah, come up, totally. and all those weird anxieties, and you think, you know, I didn't think I was that anxious about it, but I remember we got the first copy of my book and uh, one of my mates had a look through it and went um, oh hang on is this a typo kind of thing and it was one of the giant pull quotes <laughs> had, a had a typo where or like had a thing where the same the same word was duplicated and no one had picked that had been through fuck I don't know how many people I'd read it the editor had read it, you know, the proofreader. There's a whole succession of yeah. things that happen, like when you get boxes, of, you know, boxes of books yeah. turn up and you it's go, weird. oh God, boxes, just my thoughts that I sort of like, you know, laboured over, mm. but now they're just boxes of things that have got a, you know, that, that, that somebody sends by courier somewhere It's very really strange, when my book turned up, I could not look at it. It was one copy of it, and it turned up, and... Uh, Katie had opened it because she was at home. Oscar was just a little baby and she was at home with him and she was very excited to see it because I guess she, she had read most of it. She'd helped, you know, like she'd, she'd helped big time editing and proofreading it before we sent it in. But she still hadn't seen the whole thing. So she was excited to see the book because it's different when it's someone else. Yeah. You know, like she was removed enough. But when I got home from work, she was out they had gone out and I got home and the book was sitting on the coffee table You're like, I got the vacuum cleaner out <laughs> I was like right I need to do something you know I got the vacuum cleaner out I vacuumed the house looked over at it I went and checked my emails I went and sat in another room put on a record so and after about an on. hour and a half I picked it up and had a look through it had a, and then I went oh yeah okay cool so we had the book launch your book launch at, at, at Slowboat Slow and yeah. You know, so did that sort of feel like better? Like yeah, that was cool. You know, I I did enjoy that. That went really well. It was cool. That was a really nice night. And Dennis was, I mean, everyone was great. You spoke, and that was really cool. And everyone was really cool. And I actually, I sincerely could not. I sound like a fuckwit, but I sincerely could not believe 
people turned up and were nice, were, were genuinely yeah. into it. I really couldn't. No one was a dick. No one came to... Not that, you know, I don't think that someone's going to come and fucking throw an egg at me or whatever, but, but no one... But it's always a possibility. It is a possibility. It's, it is perhaps more likely to happen to me than many others. But I... I um I didn't know what to expect and I was hum well enough humbled the word I was blown away really. I, I think it is quite sort of humbling to think yeah. that. But, but again, I think it's that thing of people people caring enough because I sort of like do things and then I just I'm I sort of feel like I'm not that interested in them once I've done well, them. Yeah, yeah, that, I feel that way. Dennis, you I mean you'll you'll be very familiar with Dennis's wisdom and in fact you sort of include some of it in your book, but. Um, Dennis said to me at Slow Boat, I think right at the very end, when everyone had left and we were going to go down the road and get something to eat and we'd had a few beers, he, he, sort, of said, he sort of took me aside and said, uh, I said, you know, thanks, it's been great and thanks for hosting it. And he sort of, sort of kind of grabbed me and said, um, you know, all the stuff that we do, a lot of it doesn't mean anything, um, you know, and uh, you never really know what's happening while it's happening you don't realize the important things until after and he's like you know our, our, our lives are just a fucking blip but he's like and he sort of pointed a finger at me and he goes but you'll remember this and i, I just <laughs> love i was just like that's fantastic and sometimes it takes a person like you know i wish you could probably be around to do that more often sometimes it takes someone like that to tell you to know make you i hope people things. i hope people i want to do that for other people a bit more actually and i hope people do go around doing that because it's a really nice thing to do to say you know don't write everything off and laugh everything off this is a really special yeah. and so you know like I hadn't really thought about it but you bringing up the book launch that was probably when it really and it's probably one of the really few times writing the book really meant anything to me like and and, and not because oh that cliche of writers just want to have book launches and celebrate it but it just was nice. It yeah. was just really nice. Because I felt like for mine... Fucking like, Brendan Smythe turned up I know, and you know, I signed her copy for him. And I've, yeah. I've, I've written stuff saying that I... Not not against him, but against the organisation he yeah. works for and represents. So he could have not turned yeah. up, but he did. And that was amazing. And he's, he's a nice guy. You know, I, guy. you know, and all of that. So people from bands turned up. I think maybe cool. writing a book is very different from, you know, even sort of making an album where yeah. the ultimate expression of it is that you go out and... Play it, play songs live to people, mm, mm. and you know, it, it, and it has a sort of a. So what was it like kind of launching your book in the shop where you work? Uh, well, that I must mean, have been I, I would nice. have been quite it's happy special. to not. Yeah, yeah. Really, really do anything, but and but Carlina was quite insistent that we yeah, know, yeah. have to no, put well, You and, mark these things. And and the other thing about it is that you know, so Sam Scott had said like they didn't really do a launch for mm. bunnies on ponies. They mm. did a gig at Bathhouse, but they didn't really do anything. They were going to do an install at the shop because we hadn't sort of really celebrated it coming back on vinyl because mm, it mm. took so much longer than everything else. And um, I said to him, "Hey." Uh, would you feel about playing at my book launch? And he's like, yeah, great. Mm. It, I mean, and so, and I think that's a really important thing, that idea of collaboration. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and, and it's, and it's whether you even know that that's what it is, but that cross-branding thing. Yeah, yeah. So if you like this thing, yeah. you know, um, we think that this is, Which of, is... of a similar Caliber, which is know? what um, people like, like Garage Project are getting yeah, so, well, so yeah, great at Garage doing, Project, or are so great at doing. Garage Project gave me gave me some beer for the yeah. launch, and, and then, you guys are good at doing it. You and know, then, you, Slow Boat is well, getting, yeah. really good at doing it. But I think you know, a place like like 
slow boat I sort of feel like our relationship with with the community so not just like the sort of Cuba Street community mm. but with you know say with you or with you know the the Phoenix Foundation have mm. been you know I mean I, I the first I heard but of these the things Phoenix are Foundation was Steve coming in on uh, sometime at the end of 2001 and saying oh that Phoenix Foundation being played at old bodega mm. uh, something they used to be fucking terrible but um, they've, they've, they've got good they've got much better <laughs> and I was sort of like oh okay I'll you know, sort yeah. of check them out, and they were sort of like young guys that are sort of vaguely recognised in the in in the shop. And you know, the next time I saw them play, I thought, God, that you know, they mm. they give me good. And I I just think that's and so seeing people like Glass Vaults, you mm. know, who who I only became aware of because I heard their records, the the first record, yeah. and I thought this is really good. You know, like they've yeah, they're great. really got their own. Yeah, yeah. You know, I recognise lots of Thing. where this is coming yeah, from. Yeah, that's exactly But yeah. they still, they sound like a band that are, that are going to develop their, into their own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm just, you know, when... when but these things are mutual. Like, you've been good for Phoenix Foundation, they've been good for you, you know, like, yeah. it's, you know, you, you, you champion... You've the shop three times. Yeah, you, know? you champion them, you know, and, and, and they sing your praises. And so, and, you know, the Garage Project are doing a Phoenix Foundation Give Up Your Dreams I beer. I saw that, tour. Yeah, I just, which is awesome. I, and I think, you know, at, at the risk of appearing smug in the rest of the country, hating us, you know, it is something that Wellington does very well. And part of it's because it's small. Yeah, it's Manageable. It's, collaboration it's, it's not only necessary though, it's achievable. Is yeah. The thing isn't it? It's, you can actually go and do it. And that you're not necessarily in competition with with everybody, you know, not even with people who are kind of doing the same thing as you. Well, you know, the, it's a, you know, the, the craft beer thing is obviously a, a, a sort of a wormhole now and, and people uh, get very loyal and protective. But, you know, I've seen things like um, Yeasty Boys are very good at promoting other beers and saying, you know, these guys, these guys do this beer, which we don't do and couldn't do, and this is great, and, yeah. you know, like, you should, you know, we don't expect someone to just drink Yeasty Boys, because why would you? You don't just eat in one restaurant, yeah. you know, you go and do different, I, I, and I'm I, sure I, some of the other brewers, uh, well, I hope some of the other breweries are doing that too, but... Uh, I had a conversation with Tilly from Unity, yeah. and she was, she was just saying, it's not like we expect you to buy every book that you ever buy from, from us. us and us only, um, yeah, but, yeah. But if you can buy something from us, yeah, we'd, again, we'd like to see you. Then maybe That's we, it. maybe uh, uh, you know, and if you don't care about places like you know, Unity or Slow Boat, mm. then you don't have any obligations to support us. But if you, if you do and if you want to profess a, an enthusiasm for those kind of independent, you know, businesses, then, you know, you, you do have to... Mm support them you know um so if someone shoulder tapped you tomorrow to write a book about a musician and it was set up in a similar way to the rugby book would you do it having or or, or food or something like just the idea uh, you've done a book are you once bitten twice shy a little bit oh, or no, no? no well, I, I no. sort of feel quite well <laughs> it's all right <laughs> I feel quite, um, I feel quite comfortable about writing, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't sort of feel, you know, sometimes, you know, people are self-conscious about, well, I think people I, hearing them sing or something or, or, yeah. 
or hearing, you know, whenever you do anything, whenever yeah. you express yourself or express an opinion or anything, you're putting yourself out there for yeah. other people to, 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 to judge you and to critique yeah. you. And, Which is uh, why I always laugh with my comments about, like, you know, when, when people actually go, leave these people alone that are making music, they're putting stuff out there, you know, when do we get to judge you and critique you and it's like well you, you every single day you do that all the time if you, yeah. if you want to and I really don't mind but they think that you should be able to make better music than those yeah 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 which is ridiculous um, yeah. um what well, I think I asked you this before or tried to and I didn't get a satisfactory answer because I probably because <laughs> I probably didn't answer uh, ask it as outright as now but um just you talking about writing then, so not songwriting, but actual. I mean, you did a you know English degree or whatever. You can obviously write, but how did you? What? When did you first put pen to paper? It wasn't just those food blogs. It was before that. Um, I like, did you ever write music reviews for anyone ever? Uh, I mean, I know you do the email for the shop and things like that. I suppose things like that, uh, like I, a newsletter. -y. I did a few things when I lived in Christchurch. Yeah. Um, there was a magazine in Christchurch that the name of which completely Presto magazine. Yeah. Um, I I maybe did a couple of things for them. I, I remember I interviewed Ween once, oh, yeah. which who I, I didn't really know very much about, you know, because they weren't... Were they, was it when they were in town or was it on the phone? No, it was on the phone. I didn't know that much about them because they weren't right. English and they weren't on yeah. Creation or 4AD. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, that was sort of weird and I remember I reviewed a couple of things for, like, uh, maybe as a student kind of thing, but I, yeah. I, I never really sort of thought you never I, sort it out, but I, I, I just never really wanted. I'm to, just wondering where those kind of tentative first steps might have come from. I guess I never really sort of saw myself as a reviewer. Yeah. And even in terms of like the national radio thing, I don't sort of really think of that as as being re reviewing so what much. What is as, it? Music commentary. Yeah, and I think again, it's that thing of um, I think it's very very difficult for people for people who are not totally immersed in it. To sort of feel like they have any, you know, uh, it's it's difficult for them to hear things that they might like, although it's easier than ever before for people to yeah, yeah. access music. But it's still mm. tough to find things, you know. So national radio is national radio is remarkable, really. I mean, yeah, it is. it's incredible that no, it it, it is so good and varied and the content is so interesting that it's amazing that nobody higher up the food chain has clamped down and stamped it out because yeah, yeah. Th that kind of knowledge sharing has got to be kind of dangerous <laughs> yeah, yeah. so do you enjoy doing the I love it the segment and, it seems like you do and, um, I and mean, you wouldn't do it if you Catherine didn't Catherine Ryan's terrific yeah. I think that she's one of my favourite I've heard her do interviews with people uh, about things that I'm really interested in. She interviewed Amanda Knox. Mm -hmm. um, that was wow, fascinating. She interviewed yeah, Yotam Otolenghi. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, people who are good interviewers are good at getting interesting people to talk about. You know, uh, most people are at their best when they're talking about or writing about things that they love. Yeah. And, yeah. and and I think there's a real knack to getting people to engage 
like that. Um, you know, Catherine, I think probably by her own admission, music is not, you know, she, she likes a lot of music, but man, she's, she works real hard and yeah. it would be difficult for her to, and every, every so often I'll play something and she'll go, oh, I, I really like that, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to yeah. follow that up. And, yeah. And I sort of think that's that's terrific. That's and my I, job done. In and a I sense. sort that, of think that's kind of your audience, isn't it? In a sense. Again, it kind of amazes me that anyone is listening to um, the radio at eleven o'clock on Friday morning, but lots of people seem to. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, so do you do it every week now, or is every, it alternating? Every alternating. other other yeah. Friday, I open up with Grant Smithies. I thought so actually, yeah, I heard Grant because um, he last week. he does very different things to me. We yeah. very really we would never. Double up. Um, well, well. If, if you really want to do something, I'd just, I'd just drop him a line and say, "Hey, I really want to do the, blah blah." Album. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. things like, like he did the Unknown Mortal Orchestra record, and I would have happily done that. But he's, he's good at what he does. He's, he's really good really at what good. he does. I've, I've, um, had a couple of chats on the radio with him where we've sort of been interviewed in a dialogue sense, you know, to, to comment on stuff and I think he's very good and I've heard him on the radio a bunch and he knows his shit obviously and he still still seems to care. Yeah. You know, good which is you know, great. really yeah. good writer and yeah and genuinely loves music. Yeah and, and but knows um, about it too because it's yeah. that, you know you were saying before about people that sometimes people who know the most about something might not necessarily be be able to, ex to express a good writer it. and yeah. it's been interesting for me doing the um, you know well the majority of what I do now is really online and doing in one way or another but doing the blog and getting like you know I never, I never quite knew that there were so many real train spottery types about music because I guess amongst, amongst my circle of friends that's me you know growing up I'm the, I'm the kind of train spottery Nerd, music nerd, but, but people that are nerdier and transpotterier than us. Yeah, way more, I and know. it's kind of wonderful and frightening in equal <laughs> measures. I think it's kind of a relief. But then I've had some interactions with some people um, where they've written to me and basically gone, you know, I don't think you know that much. Um, as in, in like a challenging sense, like I, I'd like to do it, and it's like, well, that's great, do it. Yeah. Go for it. I'm not, you know, I think people, this, what, what, the territorial thing sort of still bugs me where people think this is my patch and, you know, I sort of get these people calling for me to, you know, it's this whole angry pitchfork shit, isn't it? Like, we must get him off. We must, you know, stop him from doing that. And it's like, why not just do it too? Why not just find, you right. know, which, you know, right which is what I'm... Which Write your what, own fucking songs, start your own fucking band. Yeah, well, exactly. That's what I was saying to you with the food thing. With you know, Don't worry about the guy that's writing oh, the yeah, columns sure. of the Dominion. Just do your own thing yeah. on a platform that works. That, that, I mean, the, the fundamental premise behind that was I thought that people would want to feed me delicious things. Yeah, and right. I, was, I was right. Yeah. And, you know, some extraordinary experiences. And, and I think I probably... How many did you write? A couple well, of hundred? Yeah, it was two. It was two years worth. Yeah. Three, three a week. Yeah. And I and and, and when I got um, where I come from, that's chunk change. Yeah. <laughs> and when I got um, uh, the uh, the dear John call, mm. I um, the guy was wiped your brow. were relieved. Yeah, the a guy was bit. like, "Oh, look, I'm I'm really really sorry," but I was like, I was thinking, "God, I hope I know where this is coming. Where yeah. is this going?" Yeah. Okay, that's fine, man. That's totally okay. And I was just about to go to New York, and I was just sort of thinking, "How do I, I juggle I, this?" No, I, I was thinking, "Yeah, I can just go there. I can just..." No, but I mean, beforehand, you were probably going. Oh yeah, 
was thinking, God, I could just go there and eat what I want and mm. don't have to think about yeah. commodifying everything and turning it into something that I can... It is a bit like that. It, for me, it's still like that. It must be real hard with with music. That's... The thing that annoys me, and uh, I guess with it, is, uh, you know, I go to shows and I can't... I wouldn't say I can't enjoy myself, but... Um, probably people think I can't, but but like if uh, someone wants to, um, someone a couple of times I've been to shows that I've actually just wanted to go and see, and I'm just going to see them. And the tricky thing is, sometimes if you go to a show you just want to see and you like it, and you write a blog every day, there's a chance that you might end up writing about it anyway. But people seem to not want to decide that they don't want to or can't distinguish between a review and a blog. Yep. So I've, it doesn't happen so much now, but I, I've had people sort of, uh, you know, as one of my mates was having a smoke outside the San Fran, and I'm standing out there having a beer, and I'll get people go, oh, you, you know, you're not even listening. Like, they owned, like, because he recognised who I was. I'm not always like, on... I'm not always on the clock, mate, sort mm. of thing, which I think I sort of politely said to him, and then he was kind of like, um, you know, oh, fuck you, and walked off kind of thing. Like, you know, it wasn't the answer. It's like, he, Weird, isn't it? like I was supposed to run in and get my exercise book out and start taking notes for the same purpose. Come Monday morning, he's just going to write, this was shit, I liked it more than you did, but, you know, he gets to be... <laughs> He gets to be outside on the balcony. Mm. So it's that sort of thing's quite strange. And so I've kind of, yeah, eight years of going to things and going, well, one way or another, I guess I'm writing about this. I'm either saying I was really underwhelmed or I was blown away or somewhere in the middle and it's crushing me. It's somewhere in the middle. Steve used to um, do what I call the three the three word film reviews. He'd take, take um, DVDs home from the shop and he'd bring them back and I'd, I'd go, how was that? And he could review any film at all with just three words. Three words. They're either pretty fucking good, not that bad, or don't even bother. Yeah. Like, yeah. there you go. It's, it's all the... Yeah, and sometimes it feels a bit like that with what I do, and sometimes I think, fuck, I'm wasting so many words on something that doesn't need to be how said. How to say something. How to that... say something different. And, and and then other times I go, this is great. I've sometimes had, it's real easy, eh? I, sometimes not it's... only that, but I go, I take a real pleasure in what I've written, not because I think it's great or anything, but I just enjoyed the process. Because it, it is that thing of trying to understand myself and, and again, why that, I bother. That thing that we were talking about, I th- you know, I think most people are at their best when they write about things that they that they love. You yeah. know, I, and I think, you know, that, that sort of came across in things of yours that I've enjoyed the most, I think. Um, you know, the Paul Buchanan thing, obviously, um, which yeah. is it's one of those things that's, you know, that was very close to how I feel about those kind of experiences yeah, yeah. in my life that that they're just these you know these remarkable little well I, they, they they are you know to quote Primo Levi they are moments of reprieve they are I or to quote Dennis O'Brien they're moments you'll remember yeah you know, the things you remember because I played you that Paul Buchanan phone message I think hey I had I had the phone message from oh yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. because the t- he actually rang me to do the interview and the times were crossed and then he was kind of like I don't know if it was on the message there were a couple of messages from apologies yeah apologies and then like I know you've got I know you've got like a little baby and rah 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 so painfully just yeah ridiculous I was sort of listening to it going get on with it man but it was wonderful because it just completely fit with what you assume he is and what the music says that's kind of how I felt about Johnny Marr he was exactly as you would have hoped yeah down to him 
giving you the nod on and being a first person. Yeah. Things like that. And then the other other great thing that he did was um, he said, oh, get, uh, you know, can I put you on the door for the show? And I was, I was sort of like, oh, well, I wasn't really going to go along, but, you know. Yes, please. He's gonna, yeah, that'd be great. And I, yeah. and I went there and he, and he put me on the door and he, and he let me bring a couple of guests. And mm. I got to the door and and the guy doing the door, I, 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 I kind of know and he's somebody that I, you know, I, I don't dislike, but I just don't really don't have anything in common and he was mm. like that sort of Seinfeld-esque you know mm, Jeremy yeah yeah and go, oh hey man how's it going I said oh, I should be on the door and he went oh, oh yeah and who who would have put you on the door and there's a queue of people and, it, and, and I just sort of turn around and go Johnny Mars <laughs> <laughs> and in my in my mind they just start applauding you know I, I've never got used to asking I, I've never got used to saying my name's on the door oh, I fucking it's excruciating just give me, and I give think me like, tickets on average I would probably have to say it I've probably had to say it once or twice a week for the last 10 years <laughs> and and I hate it and I hate myself for having to do it and I hate any of the react, pretty much any of the reactions I get because it's no, actually it's terrible. a really weird thing to have. It is to actually ask. terrible that um, that I hate it. Like, like like say the newspaper relies on getting free tickets yeah. to send a reviewer. Yeah. Because the, there's there's a sort of Faustian pact there, isn't oh, it? Oh, totally. It's, and it's and it's got really out. fucking murky over the years and really tricky. But even like you know someone who runs a bar or someone in a band says hey, you don't have to review it but do you want to come along I'll put your name on the door and you go oh yeah cool or whatever and quite, you know I'll, I'll still pay for gigs and that as well and I want to pay when I can and and, and those sorts of things but if someone's going to offer you then that's fine you go but even in those situations where as I say for me there's you know people say don't review it but there's a chance I'm going to write something about it potentially because I've got you know I've got a daily blog and a website as well but uh, I just I've never ever got used to asking it's always this awkward oh I think my name's on the door oh you know oh really who is it you know or is, oh, I should be Simon Sweetman plus one and I hear myself saying it I've through doing this and doing stuff on radio I've got used to the sound of my own voice you know that's excruciating <laughs> no that's excruciating for a lot of people I don't just mean the sound of my voice, I mean the sound of their own. That's yeah. really hard to get used to. And I have just only just finally got used to it. But I'm not used to the sound of my own voice saying, saying, my, own name. saying my own name should be on the door. <laughs> plus one. Like, yeah, and, and the plus one. It's fucking awkward. I hate it. It really is. Especially if it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's that. In fact, there is, there is that. But there's also, like, sometimes it's worse when it is. You know, like, people, I don't know. It's, it's really fucking odd. Yeah, I love... I love when there are tickets mm. beforehand, but that seems to be happening. Less and less. Well, I have to go up and ask for tickets at the box office to things, and that's just same, as bad. Same it's the same, same diff. It's horrible. And in some cases with the paper and that, they are under another name. Like, not a fake name, but under, like, someone from the papers, and it's, it's weird. It's funny um, that that's, like, comp, comp tickets. So the thing I see... Yeah. I sort of think, do you do you automatically enjoy a gig more if you pay for it? Well, I think I did. I did with Ryan Adams. I, yeah. I, I really don't know if I, I really really enjoyed that gig, but I paid for you it. You might have been more critical of it. If I you think I might have been. If you had, but at the same, like I don't. 
I don't backtrack. I mean, I'm I'm happy to kind of reconsider things that I write and all of that. I, mean, I haven't really got fucking time, but uh, you know, I'm happy to be pointed out where where things are wrong. I don't think I said anything in that review I wrote of Ryan Adams that is wrong to wrong to my experience yeah. of the night. But I agree. Like maybe maybe I would have because I think it was a little bit critical too. Is but, there anything of all the I mean, I think the, the interesting thing about... That and Neil Young and Crazy Horse, the main two in recent years, I can think, were... Yeah, right. Like, I paid for them, and I raved about them. Yeah. But I definitely don't think my experience with Neil Young would have been any different at all. No, I'm sure that's... At all. I, I, I think that when people look back on, like, all that you've written, like, one of the most bewildering things about it will be just the sheer volume of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of... of Everything that you've written, what do you think that you would you would backtrack on? What is there anything that stands out that you think that? Not really. I don't think there's any point. I, I mean, there are always there are bits within bits. Are things that you think you got that, wrong. Oh or? yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think the, the or the, that you approached the wrong way. Yeah, or? I think the howler that um, I. Uh, have have acknowledged too is when I was writing about Neil Finn um, with Crowded House and saying that I thought you know these are the things that I thought he was phoning in and such with Crowded House um, I sort of I basically used a term completely wrongly that I thought was making sense to myself at the time and, and that sounds like a really dumb way of explaining it but I basically talked about his um the you know Neil Finn and friends tribute things as being um, revenue collecting, and what I was really trying to get at was sort of like when people do charity stuff and they do it to kind of uh, promote their own brand, and I basically said that he was <laughs> revenue collecting, which he wasn't doing at all. Like he was actually raising money for um, Oxfam or whatever. Right. And uh, that, that's fucking awful because I'm um, basically saying, oh yeah, this guy's just getting a bunch of friends together to make money for himself, which couldn't have been further from the truth. Yeah. And so I, I wrote a full kind of, like, for what it's worth, it's not really worth anything, but I recognised how fucking stupid that was and I think I was trying probably a bit hard to um, make your mark. Make my mark with an open letter to Neil Finn that, you know, I don't really think you needed to do another Crowded House album. And so I stand by that. I don't really rate that album. You know, I think it was a valid thing to, you know, in making me think about it now, I think it was a valid thing to do. But it was fucking dumb to, I mean, a bit over, I over-egged the omelette as I will often do. Which, because yep. it happens with that kind of writing too. And, and as you say, with the sheer amount of it. It does happen. So there are things like that, but I don't think there's any like particular review or blog post where I'm like, oh god, that was cold. I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that's for, talking about. That I think thing that's for about, someone else to you know. Yeah, yeah. Talking about that thing about sort of you know having to sort of venture the first opinion about something and being yeah. out of the gate. The one that I probably think of is is the Lord thing, and I just I sort of think like that. That's another classic of the New Zealand sort of mentality thing of like, people want to declare that either she's a genius, she's Bjerk, she's Kate Bush, or she's rubbish, or she's, she's shit, and I yeah. sort of think you, you, you kind of jump real quick on that one, and I, well, no, I, so I think I... the thing about Royals is I think Royals is one of those absolutely standalone, you know, mm -hmm. out of time zeitgeist defining kind of 
pop smashes. Yeah. But maybe in the same way that 99 Luft balloons or was or, or uh, yeah. But 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 I mean that that's kind of enough. Yeah. Know, that that is enough to. So I mean the truth is she, I don't think that she was either of those things. I don't yeah. think that she's an a, an immortal genius or or a total sort of fake charlatan. I think that she's like a. a teenage girl who wrote a song that went not to number but, one in America and I think regardless of what people you know I always think about in the Luke Haynes book mm. meeting Robert you know Robert Forster yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Forster says to him you know after Black Box recording he says what was it like being on top of the pops like, you know like Robert Forster's yeah. this you know just a go between you know some almost holy yeah, yeah, yeah. Band. I sort of think if anybody doesn't think that kind of having the number one record in, in the States isn't some kind of holy grail, then... Oh, totally. I mean, and, you know, like, Simon... I mean, everyone would love to... Thurston Moore would love to... It's, one, it's, one, it's what's so fascinating about Simon Griggs' story about yeah, how to read that. It's a fucking incredible book. It's really good. It's really good. I believe it's, like, so incredibly honest. I say I believe, because obviously I didn't know Paulie or anything like that, and I don't know Simon, but... But just, it seems to sum up, like, it's honest because it talks about how, you know, Paulie had vocal limitations. Mm. Um, sounds like he was very tricky to wrangle. And there were all Slippery sorts of... Well, just, yeah, and just kind of delusions. Like, you know, he's, like, when they get to England and when they get to Europe, every person he meets that can play an instrument, he's basically within five minutes asked them if they want to join his band and tour the world with him. Wow. And like, at that point, there's no plan to do that. And in fact, you know, Alan and Simon are trying to make sure that actually this this stays uh, a tight, tight little thing where you mime along to the song on TV because it's a pop hit and you're not a good enough live singer and we're not from the band. Cause we've, and he doesn't get that at all. And they, they kind of try to explain that to him. And he's even at one point, um, he asks the piano guy in the hotel in the lobby, Are you, you know, he's doing my Elton John instrumentals, and he's like, you're pretty good, do you want to, should we do a solo thing where I sing and play piano? Wow. So, so really tricky personality to deal with and just doesn't get it, but he's still, like, the book's not a beat-up, because it's like celebrating the fact that this is an incredible song, and it took this combination of people at this moment in time, uh, and that Paulie definitely brought something to it. Some of the oh, yeah. some of the bones of the song, and a charisma and a look, and yeah. and a desire, and a, you know an image that you know, couldn't have worked without him, kind of thing. It's the ultimate conceit of the singer songwriter yeah. to think that that the thing that people liked about about their band or their song or whatever. Uh, was just them and yeah, their yeah. voice and their songwriting yeah. and, and their you know and the, not the whole combination the, or not know, other I mean, things yeah you know Led Zeppelin might not have happened in the way that it did without you know if they'd had a different drummer if they'd had a different manager if they'd mm. had you know and and I and I think maybe that's something that I sort of think about in terms of like a, a, a sports side say you don't necessarily get the best team by just having all the best players but I'm gonna go back to the Lord thing because. I, I wasn't really um, at all first in writing about her with the EP. I was damn near last. And so I wrote about the EP um, because I knew the album was coming out. 
and I wrote about the EP because I, I was genuinely baffled at because I'd heard those tracks played on national radio you know much earlier in the year sort of when people were first um, even starting to talk about this teenage kid that, were, that, that had some songs out that had, had this EP and I thought you know these are okay songs but sort of I, I find that whole kind of style pretty bland and unimaginative and and then I listened to the EP a bunch of times, I finally kind of went, you know, I need to actually listen to this and maybe write something about it to try and understand it. And I was just baffled by all these people blowing smoke up their ass. And I knew, in a way, what I was going to get myself in for in the sense that people were going to go, you're an old white middle-aged guy, you shouldn't, you know... Who cares? Who cares what you think about a teenage that, girl? That didn't stop a lot of other. But old that's what, and that is exactly it. what promoted me to write about it and baffled me about it. Was you could be older than me, and a white, you know, middle-aged or older guy, and you could have an opinion on teenage pop music so long as you said it was great, and that mm. really fucked me off. So, I I sincerely wrote what I thought about the EP. Um, but yeah, yeah, fuck! I was totally heavy-handed with the whole sort of. Farmer's catalogue wanking thing, but you know I read and I've had I've had lots of people ask me to fucking explain that to them and go, what were you thinking? Why did you say that? And you see, know, it's see, I didn't get that at all. I thought it I thought probably would have been a smarter piece without that. Breaks my heart, everything just reminds me. 